0: Welcome once again to the Horror Cult Films Podcast. I'm David Smith and joining me tonight are Mrs. Jim Lamming and Alistair Yule. Hello, gents. Hello. Tonight, we visit the little town of Burkittsville and talk about the Blair Witch Trilogy. The original changed the face of our genre. No, it was not the first found footage. Probably something like Cannibal Holocaust. But it was the single biggest found footage. Two sequels later, and we have an interesting, if inconsistent, franchise. But hey, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We've been watching plenty of other things too, so why the heck don't we start by talking about them, huh? Al, what have you been watching? Well, I've been watching
1: The Umbrella Academy Season 3. Ooh. Is it good? I've- really enjoyed it. There's a lot of time travel shenanigans, uh, more than what you'd expect from a... I think it's a kind of program that is essentially a pastiche of the superhero genre. And you think you'd go down that direction, but they've essentially failed to stop the apocalypse from happening three times now. <laughs> and it also strikes me that they were directly responsible for the first two and indirectly responsible for the third. So it's it's sort of your Tony Stark scenario where you have, or Mission Impossible, the Impossible Mission Force, the IMF Bureau, I think they're called, where an organization is created to stop something They actually create far more problems than they solve. <laughs> and obviously, I mean, that with Tony Stark, I think the majority of his villains were homegrown.
0: Yeah, yeah, where he's like he pissed this guy off or, like, he built this machine. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> And he has a lot of disgruntled employees that are coming back to bite him in the ass. And with, obviously, the Mission Impossible series... I think it's the fourth film Ghost Protocol where they actually fight
2: an outside threat for the first time. <laughs> the first three films, they're house
0: cleaning. You know, it's a bit like the opposite of the Fast and the Furious, right? You know, a the family they <laughs> use the system of if you try and kill us, you can join us.
1: <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, they've got the weirdest recruitment strategy ever. Um with the Umbrella Academy, it's essentially it was um it's seven heroes that were famous when they were at school in the Abrella Academy, and they've then grown up, they come back together, but they've they've all gone their different ways, and most of them have left the hero work behind. One character I want to highlight, actually, that stand out to me, is uh, Klaus, who I think was number four. Mm. Oh yeah, the father numbered them, by the way, as opposed to giving them actual names. And Klaus is a very much a, so a hedonistic love of joie de vivre joy's life um I think multi-sexual type individual his power revolves around um communicating with and summoning the dead which he hates he's a fantastic character because he is so ill-suited to the powers that he has and that's not something i'd say i've encountered much in the superhero world where Someone has powers,
2: and not only do they not want them, they're completely unsuited so for it. Klaus is all about life;
1: his powers are all about death.
0: I've seen season one. I really liked him in that. Um, the same actor was in uh, Misfits, where mm-hmm. he played uh, Nathan in Misfits, and he, you know he was a standout in that show as well. Yeah. Even over the dude who played Ramsay Bolton in Game of Thrones, who began in Misfits. With Umbrella Academy, I like that kid who's like a 50-year-old man in a child's yeah, body. he's
1: fantastic. He's the actor, I think he's 18 years old now, and he was 15 when he started it. And his power's quite good. He can teleport from place to place in the blink of an eye. And I do enjoy the way that, even though you've got a child actor portraying a man in his 50s, all the rest of their cast are sort of in their early 30s, say. He's, you've, got a, you've positioned a young actor in a way that he has to talk down to all these adults that are older than him. But it does make for some fantastic viewing in those scenes with uh, Number 5. And he has, I think he's the only one that never actually picked a name. He's just,
0: they just call him Number 5. Jim, have you watched Umbrella Academy at all?
3: Yeah, I in fact enjoyed Season 3 that much. I watched it all in the same day. I just couldn't. I I couldn't leave it at that. I had to, you know, each episode, yeah, I'll watch another, just see how it goes. And before I knew it, I was done with it. But yeah, everything Alistair said about it, it it's rings true, it's fantastic. And Robert Sheehan is definitely the yeah. absolute star of that show. And yeah, everyone's great in it, but he just shines brighter than everyone else. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: You often got the usual sort of, I think with the character, Luther is your sort of you know, quote-unquote, the straight guy. He's just strong. He's like Mr. Incredible, if you will, from that franchise. But in this season, I was really, really happy about the romance story that he had with, Hmm. I won't go too much into spoilers, but I'll say from the Raven Academy, no, the Sparrow Academy. Sparrows. Sparrows, that's right. Uh, he he hooks up with one of them. And even though they're all all seven of them are biologically, they're not related, they did grow up together as a family. And season one and two hint at uh, will they won't they be between Luther who's number one and Alison
2: who's number three. B- because they're brother and sister. It's a bit weird. <laughs>
1: and this season three, Luther gets a definitive romance outside of Allison. I was just so happy. We're putting the weirdness behind this now. Over the moon with that. So that um, it, it took out something that I wasn't a huge fan of in seasons one and two. And I think it just makes for season three just a little bit better this time, I think. I think.
0: Uh, one thing I really liked about the first season was the soundtrack that you got, you know, where you've mm. got your kind of bubblegum pop songs and stuff coming in, or like, you know, um, We Might Be Giants, that sort of thing coming in too. I, I assume we're still sticking with that kind of aesthetic for yeah, it. Yeah,
1: there's um, one of the opening, <laughs> it, it starts off with a dance-off, season three. That's <laughs> right at the beginning, and Spyro Academy and... Um, Umbrella Academy they enter into a little bit of a dance-off you think it's going to build up to a fight and it is It is a great laugh out loud visual gag when the leader of the Sparrows just starts bopping a beat and they have the dance-off and it's footloose <laughs> and throughout the series what I've noticed is that it's set in 1999 because the first season aired in 1999 and even though it's three seasons we're into three season three now chronologically within the universe, only 20 days have actually transpired. So bearing in mind, these characters have managed to blow up the planet three times in that space of time. <laughs> and in that sequence, what I've noticed throughout the show is, even though it's set obviously 999, but the, the technology of what they're using is, is very antiquated. They have tapes. They have Walkman. When they use a phone, it's your old dial tone. Cable, nope. None of them have cell phones.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the lack of cell phones must be quite liberating from a writer's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Incidentally, you take it you guys know who the writer of Umbrella Academy is? Are we talking the TV show or the comic books? Uh, both, I believe. It's uh, it's Jared Wave, the singer of Mad Chemical Romance. Mm. is the guy who uh, yeah. he did it. Now, MCR, I believe, are back to being a band now as well. Um, not a fan but you know it's it's interesting that he's had such a successful career reinvention you know going from one kind of medium into another and like you can still have like quite independent fan base there you know you've got your umbrella academy fans who don't necessarily give a shit about mcr Mm -hmm. and i imagine your average mcr well there's probably more mcr fans like the umbrella academy than the other way around but uh yeah, I think that's quite, I think that's quite cool. Uh anything else you want to, you want to talk about before we move on to Jim? I think the Umbrella
1: Academy covers it quite nicely. It's uh I like the way that uh Netflix released a TV show that you can just you can binge it. Mm. Um even though I think this is one of the shows that uh I know that if it had been released weekly I'd be chomping at the bit to see the next episode. It is one of those shows that can very easily came the whole three all in one day. I think just like uh, Jim has.
0: Okay, it's a double-edged sword, that, though, because, uh, so, Better Call Saul's going to be returning uh, this this coming month. I really like having that week between episodes, because mm. I know that I, I just sit down and indulge and watch all six of them or something, and then go, oh, I want more. You know, mm. I, 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 quite, I quite like the... Um, uh, having that sort of time to digest between episodes and discuss theories and stuff like that. so I sort of worry that nowadays it's so easy to consume an entire series that, uh, you know, you're sort of like, it, it feels less special when you find one that you like. Uh, uh, that's my personal take well, on saying it. I say that it, it,
1: in a way that if, let's say, we're watching a TV show and we only have the one episode to chat about. On a weekly basis, they will left to really go into the nuance of that episode, what this could mean, what that could mean. And the conversation, was suppose if a TV show's released all at once, kablam, then the conversation's then reduced to talking about the broad strokes of the series as a whole.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I suppose it depends on the sort of show, though, right? Because like something like The Sopranos, um, I absolutely love The Sopranos, I don't think it mm-hmm. lends itself to binge-watching, though uh whereas you know I, I guess i could imagine sort of binge watching like a, a comedy show quite a lot of the time for example you know i don't think you'd have the same oh the peep shows on you know i best watch one episode of it or something mm-hmm. uh, but you do have that with 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 some other shows with sort of more dramatic things like succession's another one i love succession i couldn't binge succession uh jim what have you been watching lately
3: well, sticking with Netflix and binge-watching, I watched the rest of Stranger Things Season 4 at the weekend. Is that launched Friday, I believe it was? Uh, very good. I'm not going to go into it too much because uh, I think we spoke about this last time as well, but it was a great conclusion to what I think is probably the best series of the lot so far. Um, some cracking moments, and... There was one particular bit, I'm sure you've read about it online by now, which involves Metallica's Master of Puppets. And it just got me so hyped. And just as it got going, my Netflix stopped.
2: And I
3: oh, <laughs> thought I had no a power one. cut for a moment. Disaster. But uh, yeah, I have no idea why that happened. But got so hyped and then nothing. The screen just went black. I thought, oh, is this, a, is this part of the act? Or, you know, but no, it's just... Kind of took me out of that moment. But other than that, yeah, cracking series. Also, I have watched the Batman finally. It's one I'd put off for a little while because just, well, solely down to the running time, really. I mean, Batman is probably my favorite superhero, but after so many years of this kind of same retread, I mean, Zack Snyder pretty much rebooted it and we went through all the Parents getting killed thing again and
1: Yeah, I think in the we've seen we've seen Martha and Thomas Wayne die like four times.
3: More. Yeah. <laughs> so all that and plus I find with a lot of the older Batman films, even though I really like the Chris Nolan ones, mm-hmm. they there's far too much self-importance with them. but yeah, I I, I found with the on. newer one that it didn't kinda have that. Yeah, it was serious, but it didn't feel as self-important as the previous Batman films we've had in like the last 10 or so years. And that was refreshing for a start. And it was just a decent story. I enjoyed the Riddler as a villain and uh, the, the way all that unraveled and when they finally, conf- well, when Batman finally confronts him at the end, that was a pretty neat part as well. Uh, again, not wanting to spoil it because it's fairly new. Um, just yeah I had a good time of it and you did not feel that running time I thought I mean that was one of the big Mm. things that put me off it but having finally seen it yeah pretty good and speaking Uh, of films with oh sorry
0: (laughs) I was going to say on that one I was totally going to back you up on just about every point there I think Riddler was fantastic I think it was the best representation of Gotham that we've ever had Mm. like with the Nolan ones I really like them they just look like New York City you know, yeah. and um, there you just kind of got a real feel for what this city would be. It just felt so immersive. So, yeah, you're totally right. I thought the plot was a bit annoyingly convoluted, though, because, you know, we know that all roads will lead to the Riddler at some point. Mm. And then they've yeah. got this bit of the beginning where they're like, opening 20 mm-hmm. minutes. Here's the entire cast. Right. You, get, you meet them very briefly. And then like two hours later, they're still referring back to that opening scene as if you know who any of these people are.
3: <laughs> yeah, I do find that a bit condescending when films do that sometimes, especially like when they flash back to something that happened five minutes ago. But, you know, a few little niggles here and there. I mean, it's not a perfect film by any means. I'd say it's a four-star movie myself, but really enjoyable, really good Batman film. Um, another really enjoyable film, probably the best film I've seen this year, is RRR. Uh, yeah. It's uh, an Indian film that is currently on Netflix, and... It, I guess the best description of it would be an action epic where we see the rise of the resistance against the British colonization in India in the twenties full of some of the best, most ridiculous action and stunts you've ever seen. And one of the best dance offs you'll ever see in a film as well. Uh, It's about three hours long as well, and normally that would put me off, but from the get-go with this, I was hooked and just could not stop watching till the end, and even the ending was just pure, ridiculous action fun, and it's probably the most uncynical action movie i've ever seen as well everything is so sincere the friendships on the film the action the motivations they even have their own awesome little theme tunes throughout the film as well and i was just so hyped watching it all the way through just every little thing that happened just doing little air punches it's just ridiculous and you really need to see it it puts hollywood to shame
0: oh yeah i mean no i've not watched it myself yet but Like, Twitter has absolutely gone crazy about this film. You know, everyone fucking loves it. Everyone swears by it. It, Yeah, it sounds impressive.
3: Yeah, I mean, from what I've seen so far this year, that's definitely top of the list. Not too far off the top, though, would be uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Another action spectacular, although I do feel the awesome beginning and end is really weighed down by a really, really saggy middle. Oh, That's...
0: you reckon I've probably been with <laughs> yeah. alright. Maybe get slightly too goofy at points of the middle, but <laughs> I just couldn't get on board with the bagel part, for instance. <laughs> uh, if anyone's not seen this film, does it's a plot point involving a bagel, my friend, and it's uh, and that's one of the things we just never quite sold to sold this to me. I assume we're trying to do something symbolic with it. And little bits like that just helps yeah. the character motivations. But I loved it, man. But I all the way like all the way through the film, I I was just I was I just I just felt very immersed in it. I thought it was a lot of fun.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I came away like just absolutely buzzing after the end of it. But I did feel, about um, halfway through that I was like, yeah, can we? get on with it a bit. <laughs> but like the, the performances in it, the action, uh, the characters, all fantastic. Uh, I think it's probably one of the best performances I've seen from Jamie Lee Curtis in maybe oh, anything.
2: She was
0: so funny in it. <laughs> Absolutely. Wait, I, didn't, I did not expect her to be. Uh, Michelle Yale was ace.
3: Mm. Oh, incredible. And it's, it's extremely relatable. I, I don't want to get too much into the subtext about the revelations and stuff at the end but a lot of the family drama was very I could empathise with
0: <laughs> I've also you've got the kid who plays short round as back as the husband yeah, uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> I've there for thought a couple of minutes
3: right, I know you and funnily enough
0: he's still got the same voice <laughs> but uh, yeah that's the best film about a multiverse that's come out this year oh yeah no, no doubt about it <laughs> um
1: and there seem to be a few multiverse films at the moment
3: mm-hmm. yes that was probably the most welcome one i think mm-hmm. <laughs> um also uh i know my list is getting longer but i finally managed to watch legion the exorcist free Directors cut oh. uh Now, it turns out it's just made up of a lot of footage that was used as alternatives to the footage that was lost. So alternative angles and dailies, that sort of thing. So a lot of Mm -hmm. the footage cut in it was uh, from VHS tapes and didn't have a score or anything like that. So I think some of it's not quite seamless and it does seem a bit jarring at times. Although, essentially, it is the same story, only maybe a bit more of focused on Brad Doris' performed. Uh, there's a lot more of him monologuing and just being generally intimidating. Yeah. But overall, not quite as good as the theatrical cut, which makes a change in these instances, which, yeah, I love Exorcist Free, one of my favourite horror films. Legion cut, good as like a curiosity or, you know, just... It's one of those things that's been banded about the internet for years, and I finally got to see it. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I always quite like that entry in the uh, Exorcist franchise. Certainly a markup for Exorcist Two, the Heretic.
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like um, it's a bit, a bit like Psycho Two, where uh, because the f- the first one is so damn good, mm-hmm. almost like you, you know, like the third Exorcist film. Would be the best of the franchise, without the first one. Obviously, um, yeah. it's far better than the other four. Um, there's four others, isn't there? Uh, yeah, you've got of Dominion. There's quite a few, quite yeah, a few yeah, prequels now. Three, yeah. three, three others, actually. Yeah, it's definitely the, It's definitely the, the the best of the sequels. But it just doesn't seem that special because it's following something that's so fucking good, you know. And as mm-hmm. I said, Psycho Two is the same. I think it's by far the best of the uh, three Psycho sequels. Um, it's just. Because it's a sequel to the original,
1: <laughs> yeah. <one>, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, there's certainly a lot going for it. Uh, Exorcist three, and it, it follows on, I think, correctly from how you should have followed on from the Exorcist in a way that Exorcist
0: two just didn't. Uh, have you got any other what last ones you want to mention, Jim?
3: Uh, I've seen Jurassic World Dominion recently, um, mm. but that didn't. Particularly thrill me all that much in a film series about dinosaurs, and this finale in particular, we've got to a point where dinosaurs have actually got out in the world, taking over. So let's do a film about genetically modified locusts instead. Oh
0: fuck yeah! <laughs> and it was ridiculous. Like a company to go, we're going to make some super locusts that will eat crops made by other other food companies, and nobody will notice this apparently. <laughs>
1: That uh, that's a completely different film that that shouldn't have been. No. The Jurassic I'll, I'll, Park, give it, I'll give it, I'll, the Jurassic I'll
0: give World this, finale, I say. I'll give Like I personally enjoyed it roughly as much as the other two Jurassic Worlds, which uh, and I enjoy all three of them more than the second and third Jurassic Park. Obviously, the first Jurassic Park is mm-hmm. a completely different league from anything else in that franchise. But I think the good thing about this one is i expected ellie sattler and alan grant to be cameos i was really pleasantly surprised that they get they definitely get more than half the film yeah i mean they did have that going for it and
3: it wasn't as self-referential as i was expecting as well i mean there was Mm. the odd bit here and there you know call back to the first film and so on but yeah it, it it was definitely a lot more restrained than I was expecting when it came to using the characters from the original film. Although I must say, Vince Vaughan has been done an injustice. Uh, where was he?
1: He <laughs> <laughs> you know, so was playing the character Nick Van Dyne from uh, The Lost World, Jurassic Park 2. <laughs>
0: I, I think with uh, what's his face? Jeff Goldblum, I think you got a lot of really good, clearly improvised bits from him. He was he uh, he really gave a lot of the comic relief. I liked when he the bit where he's just looking at the camera and goes Jurassic World, not a fan. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think the worst thing about these films has been Chris Pratt from the beginning. Uh, like, mm. it's not even that he's a bad actor. Um, it's just. His character is too good. You know, we never yeah, buy... That yeah. he's in, like It's a bit like yeah. to, uh, Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible films. We never really buy that he's in much danger. It's just he's also less likable than Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible films. Uh, with Tom Cruise, there's this bizarre kind of energy that he's able to bring to, uh, to anything. You know, whether you're mm-hmm. watching like uh, Top Gun or something like Magnolia, you know, there's an intensity about his performance that... He, it's almost quite, quite addictive and Chris Pratt just doesn't have that presence. It's also no. not helped that him and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, I genuinely can't think of two romantic leads that seem to like each other less
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're just bound together with mutual indifference
0: Yeah, like you never buy that there's any particular warmth between them here I mean maybe it's bad writing, I think the acting, there's just not there just isn't a chemistry there I have to say, one other thing I picked up on
3: watching that was
0: it was edited
3: really, really badly. Like, they wanted to just skip out on someone walking a couple of steps so they would suddenly cut to them being the other side of a room or near someone. <laughs> it was like it was edited by someone who makes TikToks for a living. <laughs> it was just really badly done. Or oh, would it be it someone really that
2: uh,
1: plays uh, Skyrim and they want to fast travel?
3: Yeah, <laughs> it's like, literally, it did it, skip a Isn't few... It? steps just just for the sake of it and it just was so disjointed and jarring. It really aggravated me at times.
0: And uh, one that I believe we disagree on is uh, you watched The, uh, the Black Phone, <laughs> didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really good. that. Um, I was, I've was i been looking forward to that for a long time. I mean, it oh, must have been... What you thought was shit. <laughs> no, yeah,
3: no, absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah, really yeah it. it's,
2: great. it's great,
3: isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember seeing the trailer for it. It must have been when I went to see The Invisible Man. You know, like just before the, like the lockdowns and COVID and everything. And because I remember taking uh, my daughter, and, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and we were both like, oh, that black phone looks great. And then it just kept getting delayed and delayed. And yeah, finally got to see it. So, you know, there was a bit of hype from my point of view, especially after seeing Sinister recently as well for the first time. <laughs> so, again, you know, I'm pretty hyped for that, but it doesn't quite hit the heights of Sinister, but it was still a really enjoyable uh, kind of. Stephen King style horror is really Mm. good.
0: Yeah, well, it's me, it's Joe Hill, Stephen King's son, uh, Mm. his source material. And the short story it's based on is not a particularly remarkable short story. I say that as a Joe Hill fan, by the way, uh, Nosforatu, which is. Spelt like a card number plate, which is why I tried to say it like a card number plate. That's well worth a read. But my favourite thing about this film was I thought the two kids were phenomenal. I thought oh, like, yeah. I totally bought their relationship as brother and sister, you know, and it gave a lot of depth to uh, to the movie. Like, if i like, I didn't like the, the way that the two plot strands they had, you know, her investigation. Mm. and him being captured without going into spoilers I didn't really like the way that they connected by the end I, I, I thought I thought one of those two strands has done a disservice uh, yeah.
3: there was a certain element to the finale as well that felt to me very much like a point and click PC game where <laughs> just a lot of mm. obtuse puzzles where you've got oh, to do yeah. this to affect this and I thought when it all came together, I just couldn't help but think of maybe it's like a video game puzzle. <laughs> as fun as it was, it just did seem a bit far
0: out. You know? Yeah, uh, but yeah, very, 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 very good movie. And also, I really appreciated the use of Pink Floyd's uh, "On the Run" during the finale sequence. As soon as that started, I was like, "Oh fuck yes!" It's a great little needle drop. So uh, <laughs> that also pleased me. Uh, I'm going to go through my wheel list. This has taken us ages to get to the uh, Blair Witch meet here. It's not because well, I assume none of us hated all three of them or anything along the <laughs> lines. I will come to my prediction on what I think uh, Jim's going to have thought of the Blair Witch films very soon. But firstly, so uh, Jurassic World, we already talked about that. Uh, I watched Tax Driver for the first time recently. Now, I'd put off watching this for the longest time, but I absolutely loved it. It was way less violent than I thought it was going to be. Instead, it was actually just really sad for a lot of it. Like, it's a really good character study. And what's interesting is while you sympathize with um, Travis Bickle, it never disguises that he's a horrible person as well. You know, it doesn't disguise the kind of darkness that's at his core. And... Robert De Niro just does such a good job of playing up with the character's loneliness, his alienation. I just thought it was a remarkable performance. You know, it's almost seeing Robert De Niro does a good job. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it, you know, it's almost, almost not even worth pointing that out. But what I really got from him is like, as an actor, there's no Robert De Niro there. There's just a the character. You know, it's not like when you're watching Jack Nicholson or Tom Hanks, where there's a persona behind a character. they are playing with De Niro, you just see the character. Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
3: uh, how many times has it been discussed, written about all sorts? Uh, He's just mesmerising, isn't he? You you can't take your eyes off. It's just one of those actors that keeps your attention. Well. In his
2: heyday. <laughs> yeah. Um.
0: I, I mean, it's interesting with uh, him and Mark Scorsese. you know, they've ended um, uh, King of Comedy. Now, King of Comedy, it's very similar thematically, but such a different style of movie. I think actually if you kind of combine King of Comedy and uh, Taxi Driver, you end up with something that resembles the recent Joker film, which actually made me like the uh, Joker less after watching <laughs> Taxi Driver. <laughs> <laughs> next one, so Midnight Cowboy, also really sad watched it for the first time recently really good soundtrack, excellent acting and just a really good atmosphere you know, a lot like um, like Taxi Driver, you're really kind of seeing the people on the fringes of society throughout this, you're getting a really good street level view and uh, yeah really uh, really worth watching now, I did watch something that wasn't sad, although it actually does have a bit of sadness to it planes trains and automobiles this is the first right, time baby. i've ever seen this it is so funny like I've, i i don't know like uh, i did i've not really seen much john candy except for uh, uncle buck and yeah. home alone yeah. you know, i don't i don't really i don't really know john candy from his heyday but um but yeah i i thought this film was absolutely hilarious you know Laugh my ass off all the way through. And, like, the serious bits just sneak up on you. You've got so much Whoa. goodwill for these characters. And it's such a good pairing, you know, that, yeah, it is an odd couple that we're getting. We're getting the, like, the kind of carefree Joker. I and mean, you've got the guy with a stick up his butt, right? But at the same time, they both kind of go beyond stereotype. They both take to the roles of nuance. They've got fantastic chemistry together, you know. Um, yeah. May not be romantic, but Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard can learn a lot from it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and
0: uh, yeah, ab- absolutely, yes. Because I-, I watched that because I was after Midnight Cowboy. I wanted to watch a, I wanted to watch another road movie, basically. And that was just making all the list of the best road movies. I was like, really? And uh, yeah, I can see why. Absolutely brilliant.
1: I just want to chip in and say that I of the Steve Martin films, I think that is one of my favourites. I've always enjoyed Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's almost a go-to movie. If you want to pick me up, can I give you a bit of detail that's in the background in one of those scenes in that film where the fo- camera focuses on Steve Martin and he's reflecting on the time that he's had with John Candy, sort of laughing and having these thoughts, his face changes. Apparently that, that wasn't actually scripted. The camera was just rolling and he was thinking about all the fun he'd had working with John Candy in real life. They thought that's actually really good. Could we use that in the film? for the flashback oh. montage of you and George Candy together, and Steve Martin was all for it. And I just I just loved that detail.
0: Without going into spoiler territory, I mean, I know it's an old film, but, you know, some people some people have, ne- have never seen it mm. before, um, including me until last week. Without going into spoiler spoil territory, it's worth Googling to see what the alternative ending for the film was, because the ending we got wasn't quite what was meant to happen. It was a much Ooh. darker ending that they originally had, and uh, it just went down like a lead balloon. So using the footage that they had left, he managed to just kind of make what we see. But yeah, I I thought it was was phenomenal. Um, I did see another horror film, by the way. The uh, horror film that I watched was uh, the killing of a sacred deer. Now, killing of a sacred deer is initially really hard to get into because of the intentionally dulled acting. So, like, when I was watching, this seeing uh, what's his face, Col- uh, Colin Farrell, and he's kind of doing this really monotone voice, I was like, what the fuck's going on? Has he forgotten how to act or something? Like, how is the director okay with this? But then as it goes on, like, you kind of just get the vibe <laughs> like, they, the characters live in a world where fate exists, and that's not a spoiler, it comes up very early on. And it's about what that would do to people, how that would change the way that you Ooh. respond to others emotionally, how you your sort of sense of uh, your own future. And, um, it has a really neat little premise that uh, once you find out what's going on about, say, uh, about a third or maybe, yeah, but a third away from the movie, you then go, oh, I get what this relationship's all about here. And from there, just gets this really dark kind of humor comes into it. There's, a really interesting moral conundrum at its core. You really can't see where this one's going. I absolutely loved it. So, killing the sacred deer—well, worth watching. Uh, there's one other thing, I think we all got to briefly tackle before we get to Blair Witch, which we we will, and that's Kenobi is ended. Now, I thought Kenobi was generally fine. Like, you know, I I I don't really like the idea of we're getting a direct sequ- uh, direct prequel. Sorry to. Episode four, 45 years later, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, you know, for what it is, I quite enjoyed it. I think with uh, the finale, they did a good job of generating tension, despite that we know that the two leads are going to survive it. Because you we go, well, they can't kill. Um, we, well, the three leads, they can't kill Leia. They can't kill uh, Obi Wan. They can't kill Vader, right? But they still managed to infuse it with enough, uh, enough kind of dramatic. So I think, it, I think it worked.
3: Yeah, I mean, that final confrontation between the two was brilliant. Vader throughout the series has been very, very unnerving, more than he ever has done in the films.
2: Hmm.
3: And I think I just really enjoyed seeing and McGregor as Obi-Wan again. I'm probably one of the six people who actually enjoy the prequel trilogy. Obviously, <laughs> Attack of the Clones is in its own little garbage world but the <laughs> other two films I think are fantastic but yeah it was I know it's not gone down too great with wider audiences but I had a really good time with it
1: I, Alistair were you a fan I was I quite enjoyed it uh, it's not the perfect show and uh, it's another prequel and the fact that it's a prequel is means it's a sort of the void of tension that uh, you know when certain characters can't be harmed and beyond a certain way because they have to turn up in a certain position mm-hmm. in the future so there's an element of you know it can't go that way you know there's a there's a safety net under this form of entertainment so to speak and it's always a pleasure to see uh Ian McGregor as Obi-Wan and I quite enjoyed seeing the Darth Vader scenes especially when he had lost a section of mask and he was uh, talking in both Mm. the voices uh, from the machine and the man. Uh, Good merging that. I really, I really liked that.
0: I I heard it was meant to be a two and a half hour film as opposed to a a mini series. And to be honest, I think it could have worked really well as a two and a half hour film as well. Um, I believe it was solo bombing that made him cancel that. I think what we're seeing with Disney is this sort of attempt to say, well, we're going to build up an archive here because whilst we're spunking a lot of money on shows like this, and you'll give it like 10 years, if someone's coming to Disney Plus or whatever the version of Disney Plus is 10 years from now, they're going to have like, you know, here's 11 movies that you can watch. You want to watch Star Wars. They'll probably have, well, will probably be more movies in 10 years time. We'll be like, here's 15 movies. And here's like six different shows and things. So I, I assume it's about building up that brand, you know, building up that, uh, that collection. You know, same thing we've got with Marvel, where if you want to watch a Marvel uh, thing and you go, well, we've got 30 movies on here and we've got like uh, nine or 10 shows, or however many there are now. And, uh, you know, whilst as for coming out, individually they're not exactly wonderful and a lot of the time you get a bit of re- release fatigue. I think a decade from now, it'll be really cool just having access to all of them in one place. I think that's what we're doing. It does mean that we're using quantity over quality quite often <laughs> but at the same time um,
1: well yeah they, they, they do have a streaming platform to fill up
0: I, I, and I assume that like this is about the long term plan basically anyway speaking of long term plans we plan to speak about the Blair Witch films so why don't we let's talk firstly about Blair Witch Project I know we're not locked
2: it's all over the place but how do we know it was people well even if it wasn't I'm not going to play with that either And it's all because of me that we're here now, hungry and cold and hunted. just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. Tell me where you are, Josh!
0: The Player Witch Project. So, this came out in 1999. I saw this underage at the... Tender age of 13 in the cameo cinema in Edinburgh. So, a cameo cinema if you're listening to this. <laughs> um, now, I <laughs> thought this was absolutely terrifying at the time. Uh, the whole last sequence in the house scared the absolute shite out of me. Now, at that age, this was before the internet was really a big thing. Some of the younger listeners may not believe that. Um, you know, we that was back when the internet was something that you would have to. Like you you could use it and use tip of the house phone at the same time that's <laughs> a totally different era um so i i i bought the hype i thought it was real you know and um i, I guess you never have movie, the fourth kind that came out a few years ago one of uh, Emilia milia jovic say a few years ago that was like
3: two, two, i'm aware of it yeah it's uh, <laughs> yeah, probably so, about 20 years now isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah it, it it was it was a bit shit right but at the same time with the fourth kind something i thought was relatively interesting was they did the split screen bit we're going here's the real footage on the left and what you're watching is the dramatization now both of them were obviously fake but at the same time if that came out in 1999 when like Blair Witch did when you didn't have like Wikipedia you didn't have like uh, an online press kind of digging into what was going on in this maybe you could have caught the public imagination in the same way. Anyway,
1: that's, that's my thought every day. Um, Possible. I think with that, just to uh, sort of punctuate that thought you're having right there, um, one of the things I am going to say about uh, the Blair Witch Project is outside of the movie itself, it was an absolute masterpiece of marketing. Mm. And it, it, it happened at the right time because the internet was awash with uh, the conspiracy theories that. Well, the internet is still filled with conspiracy theories, but (laughs) you didn't have the legit websites to counteract the marketing. So there wasn't any Wikipedia, there wasn't any IMDB. There was none of that where you could go and approach and see what the actual details of this movie production was. And I think that essentially aided and abetted the people buying into what they were trying to sell with this movie, that this what you're seeing is real.
0: Yeah, because with that one, you had three kind of no-name actors that were appearing in it. You know, none of them have had careers since, really, either. But you got three kind of no-name actors. Mm-hmm. So uh, they built up, you know, that website, the uh, Missing People one they built up. And uh, also, Jim, did you watch the Curse of a Blair Witch documentary? Yeah. Yeah, because I thought that was a really interesting bit of marketing there because something that we were able to do really well with the documentary was fill in some of the blanks from the movie itself because quite a few of these this plot points we get are quite decontextualized. You know, we don't really know a whole lot about uh, Russ and Parr. We hear about the little girl being abducted, but it's all done very quickly, you know, very efficiently. And uh, in this, it just kind of fleshes out the lore. I think it was really good as a tie-in
3: yeah it it worked nicely um as a bit of background story to everyone and everything in it really It um,
1: was a good accompaniment
0: Aye. Mm-hmm. and we get again the thing is we get like uh we get see some of the relationships develop you know, we've got Josh's girlfriend in it you know we we don't know what uh, from the movie obviously what other people's reactions are going to be like you know we know that uh, Josh mentions his girlfriend being worried about him but at the same time, we, we it really adds something to see that she misses him. You know, it's uh, when we also get the sheriff, Sheriff Cravens, is notably not the same Sheriff Cravens from the second one. <laughs> you know, I think it just adds to the world building quite a lot, and you get you know you get more history of Burkittsville and stuff like that. I just thought it was a really fantastic little documentary,
3: <laughs> which I mean. Even in the beginning of the actual film, you've got that great exposition dump of the documentary footage that they filmed, all the interviews with residents and so on. And mm-hmm. that does an absolutely spot-on job of filling in the lore and everything we need to know about the Blair Witch up to that point anyway. So yeah. that extra uh, special feature, documentary, whatever, that just, that's kind of the icing on the cake to the whole experience, I think.
1: In terms of, I think, world-building, say, there's... Like you need to put in what's relevant to the story, but often I suppose a writer, a creator, will at some length create more of the world that won't make it into the story. But the reader or the viewer will need to believe that the creator knows what the universe is through through and through. And what the documentary shows is that they they really did have it all identified and all laid out, and they knew exactly what the story, what the powers, what everything is behind the, the eponymous villain, the Blair Witch.
0: And, yeah, because we also got things like the stick figures. I don't think the movie actually tells us about the stick figures at all, does it? You know, they use it as, mm-hmm. like, it's various iconography. And, by the way, great iconography in these films, <laughs> stick figures, for rocks. It's, it's, things like that are just immediately, immediately identifiable.
1: It's so minimalistic as well, but very effectively uh, applied in the film.
0: I, and I think with the uh, documentary, I think that aired on TV on the on the lead-up to the movie coming out, oh. wh- which I, I enjoyed that at the end, it, it, uh, it, it brings into question the authenticity of the movie itself. To kind of go, oh, we're sowing some seeds of doubt here. And also that you see where the footage was found, because that thing comes back in Blair Witch Project yes. too. but we'll get to Blair Witch yeah. Project 2 soon. So yeah, basically, uh, if anyone's got the DVD or Blu-ray, then uh, make sure you watch The Curse of Blair Witch Project. I thought uh, The Curse of Blair Witch was ace. Oh, and also, buddy, how much fun must have had Had of designing all the old documents, like all the old drawings and things? <laughs> that was so cool. I didn't know Burkittsville was a real place until very recently. It was... Uh, uh, Jeb Shepard, the uh, writer on uh, Dashcam and host. Uh, he was recently visiting Burkittsville. It's why everyone assumes he'll be directing the fourth one. And... Um, uh, yeah, he was showing photographs of cemetery and stuff like that. I, just, I, I had no idea if he used a real place, so that was cool. Um, anyway, let's talk about Blair Witch Project. So, what are your overall thoughts on this movie, guys? So let's start with yourself, Alistair. What do you think of Blair Witch Project? Really enjoyed it.
1: As a minimalist project, a film no CGI, pleasantly for a horror film, no jump scares, it built up mood, atmosphere, suspense. I suppose, a sense of dread. Um, there's so many of what this film does. You can see it being reused again and again in other found footage films. Like we're talking, say, grave encounters, for instance, paranormal activity. There's, I mean, I think the entire, essentially, the found footage found, sorry, genre of movie owes a lot to the Blair Witch Project. I know it's not the first uh, found footage, but it's certainly the found footage film that like exploded in a way that so few films ever do. It's, it's, the, it's become famous to the point of you know people that have never even seen the film will still know about it decades after the film was in cinemas. And, it's
3: basically um, the doom of the found footage genre, isn't yes, it? It's the benchmark people yeah. have to measure everything that's come since mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah you got i mean there's a few things i would say that work to its favor as well so you got obviously the interviews at the very beginning and one of them talks about how you got a man stand, or the children would stand in the corner and look away and that's what comes up at the end but usually you'd get a a routine, say the setup. It's not just setup and payoff. It, depending on the time between the two, you have setup, reminder, and then payoff. And there's no reminder for the standing in the corner. So I do believe one critique of the film was that a lot of people were confused by the ending. But actually, I kind of like the film more for that because it, it lends itself to rewatching, reviewing the film when you go back to the beginning. And you'll immediately know what that's all about when the interviewer says
2: that.
0: Yeah, totally agreed. It doesn't hand it to you in a play. And if I'd you, that probably out you the authenticity as well, because you don't yeah. have this sort of signpost of, hey, remember this? I think um, I I was pleasantly surprised by how well it still watches. You know, if it, like, some films, I guess, come to define an era uh, that when you... You know, when you're watching them again later, they just kind of feel a bit caught in that era. Like, as much as I enjoy the first Matrix or something like that, it's um, it's difficult to fully appreciate that in 2022. Whereas I would say with the Blair Witch Project, um, you know, it still watches to me, it still watches as well as it ever mm-hmm. has done. You know, it's... Um, yeah it's been influential yeah there's a lot of films that have done things that it did and some of them have probably some of them are probably better than it like I'd say Wreck is uh, it's a better find footage film for example but I think what we have here that I don't think I've seen paralleled by any other find footage is just this slow building sense of dread you know Alistair used the word minimalism earlier and this is very minimalist you know we don't see like anything during this movie yeah so much of it comes down to the, the sound design, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. or, or like implications, like a really small scene that I love is, you know, the beginning when we see the fishermen, right. The fishermen are telling their stories and it was just something about like stopping off by the river and seeing them that sells that they're, you know, they're, they're getting further away from the safety of Burkittsville here, you know, they're yeah. getting deeper into the woods, you know, this, this is basically as far as the locals will go, that sort of vibe. And, uh, yeah, you know, once we're in the woods itself, you know, they are they're just a set of woods. But fuck, you know, they build so much, so much atmosphere, such good locations there. I, I think it's still really, really good.
1: I suppose there's a they get paranoid in a way that you see rarely happen in films. Like another one that comes to mind is uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, and. It it really builds up. I think we should need to talk about the cast as well. So we've got Joshua, I believe it was Michael, and Heather are the three film crew that head into the woods and as part of their film project. So Heather's the one I think wants to be there. The other two, not so much.
2: Mm.
1: And it's a great source of tension. And when you try to sell a story, these aren't actors playing a role. These are real people. It, it really works. It, that sort of naturalistic, unscripted dialogue that they were uh, told to use comes across really well.
3: It's it's not just the main cast either. It's literally everyone in the film, the people they're interviewed. you would be convinced that these were just mm. the residents of that village. You've got you know a couple of the old people you know, been there all their lives, can recount these stories. They do it so convincingly, and then you've got that woman with her kid, yeah. uh, and the kid's, like, trying to put her hand over her mouth to tell her to stop talking about, the, you know, the scary witch and stuff. Right, just all those little all those little bits, those, just those bit parts. Every single person in the film absolutely sells it.
1: Can I just say there's a little note that I put down about when they're interviewing the woman who's carrying the child... Because remember that the Blair Witch was a killer of children, (laughs) and the child's going no, and like stopping a mother talking about it. I I quite like that detail.
0: I never picked up on that. That's that's good. Yeah, I think I I could be misremembering this, but. I believe that the cast were given an outline for what would happen in the scenes, or they'd be told, there some we were going to start making noises, but they wouldn't know what the noises are. But I think it's a bit like Kirby Enthusiasm, where they're working to bullet points, but they don't have a script in the traditional sense. And I think it was just a case of, like, you know, get to know your characters, make shit up with each other, and, you know, as long as this information's included, and uh, we're just going to, like, shake a bush or something along those lines. So... Uh, which basically sounds like, sounds like a horrible filming experience. So yeah, the authenticity is so important to this.
1: Yeah, they do sell uh, these uh, unknown actors as uh, standout scenes for me, or when. And this will become another. This ends up being a trope. I don't think it's a trope if they see it the very first time in a found footage film, but they go walking in a direction away from uh, the log over a river. And then they keep going south for the entire day and walk right back up to where they started. Uh, Heather has a veritable breakdown when she's seeing that. She goes through the process of denying that it's not the same log. It's not the same log. And then she's eventually... It, mm. it, it's a psychological... Like These characters get torn down over the course of this. And there's a point when there's... I think it's Michael and... Uh, Heather have a conversation about which way do we go now? We went south all day, we ended up back where we left and they talk about the Wizard of Oz and how
2: we got, which one was the bad (laughs) witch? The one from the west? Okay, we'll go east. Like they've been (laughs) demolished,
1: they're they're hopeless to such a point where you you are at the point of just flip a coin, what do we do now? Mm. And I just for inadvertent comedy elements, I quite I love that little bit of dialogue between the two. I mean, we might as well do this.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I, I like seeing the relationships deteriorate. The you know, you get a feel that the characters are unravelling, particularly Heather, by the point where we get her famous speech with the, the drippy nose. She yeah. was a delightfully unflattering uh, scene for her. Yeah, I feel like we do get the sort of sense of the group struggling. I mean, I like when we get the moments we bond as well. It was quite a touching one. You know, we're talking about the food they miss and stuff. You know, we just really duked yeah. it out and that's how they, you know, they're like, look, we're stuck with each other. We have to try and get on with each other because, you know, we're fucked. At least let's try, and, let's try and work together, particularly as, and this is one of the things that just slightly irritates me, Mike is such a moaning cunt from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> You <laughs> just give the idea of that, and this is quite good characterization, you get the idea that he's like leeching off her for a good grade, you know, <laughs> he's like, oh, Heather knows what she's doing, you know, and her kind of enthusiasm is a good contrast, but like the the bit with the map, I, it was too obvious a plot device there, be, there you know, he's like, oh yeah, I go rid of the map, derp, right, and uh, I just sort of thought no real person would do this. You do hate
1: Mike, at that precise moment in the yeah. film. And I'd say that it does stretch your suspension of disbelief, but the, the actors, they do sell it. And I think if there's a setup <laughs> earlier on, there's, uh, that he's looking at this, let me see the map, let me see the map, they show of the map, and he says, this is all Greek to me. And then she says to him, you wanted to see the map.
0: But with uh, jo- Joshua... I I kind of wanted wanted to get a bit more of him, you know, he's just kind of the third person there, we don't really, we know that he's a bit underprepared, you know, he doesn't really know how a camera works at the beginning, right, but when he's the one that they they, uh, drag off and, like, kill, you know, when the teeth thingies show up, you know, I sort of thought, like, it should have been Mike who dies, because we knew him better, and also because he annoyed me. (laughs) (laughs) i just think some of the argument scenes did kind of drag there slightly longer than we needed to be which for an 80 minute film isn't a great sentence to say but at the same time like you got so many other elements right uh what about yourself jim you've been relatively quiet over there what you what you pondering
3: yeah well going to the length of the film absolutely great that it's 80 minutes and as you say, there are a couple of arguments in there that do feel a bit too sustained. But other than that, the pacing is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. You start off with the, you know, the getting to know them, then you've got the documentary shots. We slowly get into the woods. Uh, we spend the first night. Things are a bit creepy. So, you know, uh, as Josh said, he, he was woken up in the middle of the night he just kept hearing like cackling and stuff. Uh, that, that's a really good setup. And then, you know, we get further and further through it. You start seeing the effigies, the rocks, and so on. And things just get creepier and creepier. And every night, it's more and more disturbed just the whole build up to everything just goes so swiftly it's it's brilliant and for a film that's supposed to look rough around the edges it's all shot on handheld and they're they're running around the woods I've got to say the framing of that film is absolutely brilliant it doesn't feel like there's a single shot wasted Mm -hmm. Uh, and to say that it's supposed to look you know it's it's amateur and so it's yeah, it's probably not supposed to look as brilliant as it does, but going back to the bit where you mentioned Heather's scene where she's like crying into the camera you know, she's yeah. scared and all that, you can't take your eyes off it, can you? you just you're absolutely laser-focused on, on that and just loads of moments like that that just keep you just absolutely yeah. hooked. It moves pretty much at a breakneck speed, uh, even yeah. though it's basically walking <laughs> for most of it. Um, it just
1: whizzes through. Yeah, I was just going to say about the uh, the signature scene of the camera being held up, and it's unflatteringly, you see Heather's nose, I think her acting in that, and her despair, and she talks about the responsibility that she feels for letting down, like, Josh's mum, her mum, Mike's mum. She let down everyone, and, like, she's this as a girl with the weight on her shoulders, and what I like is that if the acting had not been as good, then all the audience would have been focusing on is the dribbly notes. Yes. Whereas you're actually you are actually buying that performance and taking on board how like terrible she feels that everything's gone wrong. And as soon as they enter the woods, everything went beyond their control. I want to say very quickly during one of the arguments, course I forget which one now, but it was quite late into the film. And I think do you remember when I think it's the guy Mike's got the camera and he's going up to. Uh, Heather and he keeps saying you're lost in the woods, there's your motivation, you don't know how to get home, there's your motivation <laughs> he's, he's just tormenting her It's. I think it's after that, but it's, it's during one of these arguments For one of the guys has the camera because even though she's the main character Heather's actually behind the camera for most of the film, but the camera's on her at one point, the guy's got the camera and great line of dialogue this, if you bite me one more time i just love that dialogue in the middle of an argument yeah because obviously she's a girl she's gonna fight a little differently from how a guy would um yeah it's when they're running through the darkness and she shouts out what the hell is that oh god yeah i've heard there was something there that the 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 crew had prepared and they didn't quite catch it and apparently, I don't know if they did multiple takes, but that was apparently the best one, and you never see it. But it, uh, you know, it does lead to your imagination.
0: Yeah. To fill in no, the blank. So it's interesting, no? Because I would have just assumed it was by design that we don't see it, because we see so little here. Like, it's interesting that it's about a third of the way through the film when we get the first scare sequence, and as far as the scare sequences go, there's really not that many of them. We've, the main ones we have are wake up to stick men in the morning. A late night chase sequence for the teeth Then we come to the entire ending part Of the house with a the little there's handprints just one,
1: At least when there's a lot of hands Like shaking the tent Or tapping the tent
0: Oh yes yes It's that, not the same bit as the chase sequence I could, I could be misremembering that. But,
1: but well, that It might be when they get out and run away it
0: could be that one. Yeah, like that yeah. whole atmosphere was just uh, absolutely spot on. I think the entire last sequence is is phenomenal. Uh, you know, the, the whole section of the house. I said, uh, uh, first, time I watched it; it was absolutely terrifying. You know, watching it now as an adult, it's um, you know it's still it's still quite scary. Yeah. Uh, any negatives we want to be bringing in here? Um, I mentioned some arguments going for Long necessary. Yep, uh, Mike being a money cunt. Yep, and Josh feels <laughs> um, a bit less developed than the others.
1: I'd say there's maybe a couple of continuity issues. i certainly in the if it's meant to be like raw footage that has been untampered with. There's certainly parts where at the beginning, you remember when uh, Heather's crossing the log for the very first time, mm. and you hear her voice like she's talking, but you see her lips aren't moving. This is uh, ADR uh, dialogue that's been put in post production. And there's also, I think, the opening sequence where she's like, this is my home, this this is my living room, and her makeup's all done. And she gets in the car, they go pick up another one of the crew, and then they go to their first location, and she's applying her makeup in the wing mirror of a car, which (laughs) should already be on, because I saw it on earlier. Um, So there's... But the thing is... because they like to toy with the audience psychologically, it's one I can't fully put down to a goof. It might be intentional. There are goofs in uh, Blair Witch 2, which I'm looking forward to
2: getting to.
1: (laughs) But um, yeah, this one certainly had moments that sort of made me think, but because of the nature of the Blair, which I can't fully put it down to a goof, it might be someone just to mess with the audience.
0: I think it's a really interesting point. For the first one—I mean, for both interesting points, of course—but I think the uh, point about uh, the tension between—is this raw footage or not? Right and. Yeah, it is strange that there is still an editing process that's been applied to them, which I assume is just to make a film more visually interesting. But it isn't. But you're right; it isn't consistent with just "here's the tapes" and we're just showing what what was on the tapes in order. Rather, what we're getting is uh, you know, here's an edited version of what was on the tapes.
1: <laughs> Here, here's your highlights. Here's your greatest. hits.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, d- I did like the Heather's personality. Her enthusiasm is such that when when the camera is on all the way through it. Make sense. Because mm-hmm. it's becoming such a, I guess a tropy question now of, well, why is the camera still on? It didn't annoy me in Blair Witch Project like it does in some other horror films. Yeah. You know, you get somewhere the characters are being intentionally performative to the camera. Like, my personal favourite film footage is the uh, Big Finish. And the Big Finish, they're performing all the way through it on camera. You know, you've had a few like that, like, The Last Horror Story does the same things it's told me killer's perspective. You know, it makes sense that uh, you would have him, like, filming every detail. But then we're watching something like Cloverfield, which just gets around it in a much less elegant way. I mean, fucking Cloverfield, They leap over roof's carrying this camera. <laughs> <laughs> the camera survived the helicopter crash.
1: So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Why are you still filming at that point? Yeah, absolutely.
0: A really small part, but I can't help but think. Somebody needed to suggest following the river to get out of the woods. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I get that we could we could have him following it, and then it not like they just find himself still nowhere, like going back to the same place. That would be really cool. In fact,
1: it would be really effective as if they followed the river and then still wound up back at that log. Yes, <laughs> so, I you' going say another thing about this film is that like with horror films, a lot of characters <laughs> don't always. Make decisions that are entirely sensical, um, because we have to have them all killed off in interesting ways. And following the river aside, most of what they do makes sense. Yeah, There's a logical through line in this film that I do appreciate for horror.
3: And, all and I, I imagine after a few days of not eating and being lost and being tormented, your decisions are going to be a little questionable anyway, regardless of what situation you're.
0: You know, the River Point does remind me the Blair Witch Project game is uh, it's pretty good. And um, something that I really enjoy about the game is it's got a randomly kind of generated map or, or it's the same bit and the connections are, gener- are randomly generated. So you, so you follow the river, but you always end up at the same spot. Like, you always just end up doubling back on yourself unless you go to a very particular location to advance into the next section of the map. And it's so good for just completely discombobulating you as a player. You're like, I can't learn the layout of this map because the map makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah so recommended. you with the game, the uh, last couple of hours are a little bit too plot-heavy, just where you just get lots and lots of cutscenes and it kind of pulls you out of it a bit, but... There's some good background there. Uh, and again, re- bits that are referred to in the documentary show up in the uh, video game as well. So that was really cool. Anything else you want to say about this film? Like, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, so much has been said in the past. I don't know if Ernest Leek will be bringing a whole lot of new things to the Blair Witch Project. But basically, <clears throat> I really enjoyed this. I liked the escalation. I liked just the sense of how fucked they are in, during Act 1. And then that allows the scares in Act 2 to have a lot more impact. And then, you know, Act Three, once we've had um, uh, Mike go missing, I, th- I think it just manages to somehow step up a notch all over again. It does all this without any jump scares, without having mm-hmm. music and things even in it. It's just, yeah. Uh, basically, I, I really enjoy this film and I was delighted that we chose to go with this one because it meant I got the chance to rewatch it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's one of those films that could only have been made when it was made. Yeah. It hmm. came out at the right time, as we've already touched on, at that cusp of the internet being there but not being the tool it is today. So I remember seeing a lot of uh, hype on the TV about it, you know, like film shows, interviews, and stuff. I even remember seeing—I can't remember if it was another one of those documentaries trying to show that it's real. Um, there was a woman went to see it. Maybe it was a can. And she'd come out crying. At the end of it, she was that shaken up. <laughs> it's the scariest film ever. <laughs> I think I watched this for the first time when it was first shown on TV. And the only thing I could remember about it was the ending. You know, that, That's how good it, that end bit is. So it was really good to watch it. I think, yeah, this would have been the first time I've watched it now since... I think it was shown on TV around 2000, maybe 2001. But yeah, just... To see it hold up, it, you know, it's only shot on handheld cameras, and they look better than, say, you'd you found footage films from ten years later with you know the, the newer digital. And so, there's, there's just something about it; it just looks so much better. It's so well made, and it you know, just, just very much of a time and place that couldn't have been made at any other point. And it just seems to be perfect for what it is.
1: Just to maybe finish up one, that um, the ending, it doesn't tie everything up in a neat bow. The ending's open to interpretation. A lot of people are not clear what happened, but it leaves people I presume leave the audience, leave the the cinema thinking about the film, Mm. wondering what happened. It, it It gives the audience something to think about. And I would say in that sense, when the film ends, it's still... It still haunts
2: the viewer.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it encourages you to want to learn more as well. It encourages mm-hmm. you to do the background reading and things like that. Yeah. And it encourages you to watch the documentary. Let's come to star ratings on this one. What are we going to be giving this one? Officer, oh, let's kick off with yourself. I'm going to go four and a half of this one. Fair enough. See, I'm... I'm really torn of this one. Actually going into this, I was like, this is a four star film. I think I've kind of even talked my wit myself up to a five. I just, I just think myself, you know, um, maybe it's more about the, the greatness of the movie, I suppose, rather than, and like it's influence, rather than like mm. just objectively what it is, you know, a bit like Halloween isn't my favorite slasher film, but you still recognize that is such a great, important piece of work. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think Blair Witch Project it has the same kind of importance as something like Halloween does. Uh, I guess like with found footage, found footage isn't a genre in the same way that. Um the same way that slashers are, I think of found footage as being a storytelling technique, because you can still have some genres within found footage. Like, you know, you go, well, oh, here's our zombie found footage films with Wreck. You know, you go, like, here's our uh, flesh-eating virus uh, found footage with uh, The Bay, for example. You know, you've got quite a lot of ways that you can tell different types of story with found footage. And Blair Witch is the benchmark by which... All fine kind of footage films are basically judged, and so yeah, I think I'm actually going to have to go up to five. What about yourself, Jim? What do you reckon? Uh, at face value, definitely four out of five. A uh, uh, cracking film, very tight,
3: very lean. Uh, not perfect by any means. Perhaps lacking a little in tension and scares for a good deal of it as well. But yeah,
0: just solid four out of five for me. Hey, well, if we go from a, a film that got uh, four, four and a half and five to a film that I do not think is going to get, be getting that. I'll
1: just quickly say, just one last final thought on The Blair Witch is basically that even though we could say it's a flawed film in some aspects, that actually adds to its authenticity because we, you're, the audience is sold right off the bat. This is not a film made by professionals. And yeah. you go in sort of giving it that sort of leeway. With found footage films, I always find myself doing a bit of sort of role play with the material that I'm presented. I pretend that I'm like an investigator and I'm watching this movie for the first time, all these videotapes, and reaching my own conclusion as to what's happened. So that's sort of a little interactivity I like to have with found footage movies.
0: Fair enough. That's that's, uh, that's, that's <laughs> that like a fun way of approaching that. Uh, oh, as you mentioned, the director is so. Got Eduardo Sanchez and uh, Daniel Merrick. Daniel Merrick didn't really seem to do anything after this. So Eduardo Sanchez, who's have seen, uh, did uh, Altered, which I thought was a bit shit. Good premise, not particularly good film. Uh, Lovely Molly, I thought, had some potential to it, though that was all right. And uh, I believe he was one of the directors. He'd done quite a lot of TV, did Yellow Jackets. Oh, and the Bigfoot movie called Exist, which I wasn't a fan of either. Basically, I just like... It's incons- I think a very mm-hmm. consistent <laughs> director, but did this really great film early on in his career, and uh, you know, I'd love to see, love to see another film like this. Oh, uh, by the way, another great found footage: Lake Mungo. A totally different vibe from Blair Witch Project, and it's you uh, know, very different kind of movie. Still uses the same techniques. Anyway, speaking of films that uh, are completely different from Blair Witch Project, let's move on to Book of Shadows: Blair Witch Project Two.
1: Forget everything you've heard. Forget everything you've seen. Because this time, the truth is scarier than fiction.
0: (laughs) Book of Shadows, Blair Witch Project 2. So, I gotta tell you guys, I'm gonna be quite biased on this one. When I was a teenager, for literally months, we had this system of a bunch of us we'd hang out, we'd get some beers underage or some, um, some maybe some some weed, and we'd hang out, smoke, smoke, and drink, and uh, and watch Blair's Project 2 and have a curry. You know, there'd be a point where we could basically do a karaoke <laughs> of the entire music. I, I've always had this as a guilty pleasure. Like, this Rocky Four and Commando are my kind of favorite kind of. Tra- uh, Trasher pieces, basically. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, this is not a good movie at all. No, it's not high cinema. Now, I'm going to give a couple of predictions here. Uh, my predictions about the way Jim's going to respond to those sequ- these sequels. I reckon Jim is probably not going to like Blair Witch Two, but will like it more than either of us, Alistair. And <laughs> I reckon. I reckon Jim is also going to have a really mental opinion on the third one, where he's like, "Ah, oh, it's probably the best of the franchise," <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Uh, Am I right about that? Well, Jim, what do you think of Blair Witch Project 2? We don't have to talk about the third one at all yet.
3: Um, It's funny. Alistair mentioned closing out the Blair Witch Project. You can tell it's supposed to look unprofessional. Unfortunately, (laughs) you can say the same thing about Book of Shadows as well. It's extremely unprofessional. I mean, it, it, it didn't start well and continued down that path. I think it's the most Y two K looking film I've yeah, ever seen. Yeah. Like you, you don't even need to know what it is. You could take away all the title card and the credits and everything, just play it, and you're immediately taken back to the year two thousand. Yeah. It's, cram-packed full of crap new metal. Uh, the, The cinematography is absolutely abysmal. And the direction, I was actually quite surprised to see this was someone that had made films before.
0: Well, and not yeah, just music yeah. videos. He's yeah. a very very accomplished director, Joe Berlinger. You, know, he's, um, you see the stuff that he's made. I mean, it's mostly documentaries. The Paradise Lost trilogy would be his uh, main calling card, you know. And um, well, he did that, that movie extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile uh, in the one about as? Uh,
3: uh, uh, yeah. Uh, it's a- uh, Bundy, is it? Yeah, yeah.
0: Seen... With uh, with that guy from High School Musical, I believe. Um, <laughs> but uh, oh, and he did he did a uh, this really good documentary about Metallica, some kind of monster. Mm, yeah, it's, it's yeah. so like fair play to Metallica, the absolute bravery of them actually letting him put that film out. Like it, they come across as so like. Like watching The Office or something at points, or Spinal Tap. Like, we come across as <laughs> so ridiculous and self important. I absolutely adore that. So, yeah, it's a shame that this is such a, a piece of shit. He's cited <laughs> studio, in, uh, studio interference, um, but the thing is, I don't believe you can make a good film with this footage anyway. Like, uh, he says at the beginning, you know, when you've got the Marilyn Manson track, apparently he was originally going with uh, Frank natural Witchcraft, which. We he didn't want to include the little bits of violence during the credit sequence I think it would have been a better opener but at the same time I also don't think it would have made it an amazing film I think the, yeah. the footage interspersed at the beginning just gives away everything you're going to watch yeah it
1: really does <laughs> what they're trying to do is build intrigue of well, what's going to happen here but on the other hand you're also undermining the story of what's coming um, and all, the, all the money shots. Because we had no soundtrack or music or anything in the first player, which tonally, the difference in this is from like Tim Burton's Batman to then Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin. That <laughs> the tonal shift between these two films.
3: Although I could, I, I do actually enjoy Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like to. That makes fun of us. I, I can kind of see the studio interference as far as soundtracks concerned, because I don't think there was a horror film made between maybe 99 and 2003 that didn't have a mandatory new metal soundtrack. Oh, yeah. 13 <laughs> um, Ghosts
1: Springs to mind.
3: <laughs> and, yeah, it just looked so much like this guy had come from making videos for the Spine yeah. Shank and Korn. Because uh, the opening, like, you've got the... Uh, Supposed to give a bit of news reports and uh, other documentary bits, and then we get to our main characters, and you have these weird little flashback things about know uh, being in the mental asylum and yeah. so on. And I, I, I don't know, was I watching an episode of Charmed or something else from that era? In fact, those, those TV shows from that era looked better than this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, did the studio also interfere with I don't know what cinematographer they had, what cameras they used? It just looked so... For a film that's come off the back of a low-budget independent film where they used handheld
1: cameras, this looks cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Mm. What I will say is I did quite enjoy the opening sort of interstitial sequence of news reports and talking about the first Blair Witch as a movie that exists within the universe of this film.
2: I think it's necessary to establish that it's not another found footage film. This
1: is a, we're doing a you know quote unquote straight up movie here, but the initial film features as a movie within this one, similar to how uh, Season of the Witch features shots of the first Halloween film. But if I can just take the moment to kind of go for the jugular on this film, first of all, Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows, throughout this entire film there is no book of shadows
3: <laughs> see i was gonna mention that but i wasn't yeah. sure if i'd zoned out at any point and they happen to have it <laughs>
1: <laughs> not that i can
0: see <laughs> the only way to make this make sense is if the book of shadows you refer to is the book of notes that Tristan and Stephen have But I, it's not by definition no, a book It's a big no. pile of paper So that can, that can fuck off
1: <laughs> your, your, your film's got real problems If one of the issues is the title itself uh,
0: Yeah, I mean the thing is Even if that was the book of Shadows you're referring to It is not clear if that's what it's referring to and, Nobody and, ever
1: says uh, Book of Shadows. At no, no point is there a volume of text that is in any way relevant to character motivation? Um, it's not MacGuffin. It, it's just it's not well, featured it's at, at all.
0: Book of Shadows even mean either. It's like saying like oh yeah, it's like a keyboard of jelly. Like you know, it's just a completely <laughs> arbitrary kind of title. Um, I'm going to co- have to correct correct you on something. If this is going to make the film be even worse, right? Oh, is, don't. keep in mind that this wasn't a pitched a straight-up film. This is pitched, for some reason, as TV dramatization, right? And you're like, hold on. This in no way resembles a dramatization, right? This resembles a big-budget horror film, right? Yeah. If, this a, if this is a TV dramatization, we wouldn't see the story from their perspective at all. We would just we would just see uh, the story the story of him killing Tristan, right? So, um, yeah, it's, oh, man. it I'm doesn't right. make any sense,
1: I'm going to continue with my going for the jugular here on some aspects. Now, what I'm about to point out can only be interpreted as goofs, bearing in mind that we have a number of characters who are specifically shown to have unreliable recollections of events, and we are dealing with a film that has a bewildering array of flash-forwards and flashbacks. Now, when Tristan, presumably possessed by the Blair Witch... Um, and they, and you see what happens on the crazy night where they shred all their own stuff. You see her putting the tapes into the wall. <laughs> but she's filming this on a camera, the tape of which itself was found
2: in that wall where she put it. It's like... <laughs> That does not compute no. on any
1: level. And another one that this, – this, these are two that I just spotted on this watch as well. I had <laughs> noticed it on previous ones, but – all right. So the rest of them, they strip down naked. They run off to see the other tour group. Um, and in my notes, I do have kind of a very feeble representation of uh, – a Japanese couple and a German woman, very much playing up to stereotypes there. But anyway, the other tour group get killed. They get disemboweled. Disemboweled, Jeffrey. Disemboweled. Must have hurt. (laughs) And then put into a pentagram shape. Now, the flash forwards very clearly show, and if I've got this wrong, please correct me, but the sequence of events I have in my head is this. They run up to them, pick up rocks, bash their heads in to knock them out. They then strip them down naked, then disembowel them, then put them into the pentagram. So by the point they're in the pentagram shape, they should be naked. However, in the photographs that the police officer uh, has, they're all fully dressed. <laughs> so, I mean, and I can't imagine why on earth would you then put their clothes back on, but specifically tear holes out of the stomach region of their T-shirts to expose the wounds? God, I mean, yeah, it's, that is fucking stupid. The only thing I have for this is that there was very specific sort of nudity clauses for all of the actors. And I think the creators might have wanted to go down the nudity route, but the actors didn't want to get naked. And it seems like it was a negotiation going back and forth with, let's just say, all the main cast and the
0: creators. As far as the basic premise goes, well, I do think there's something to this with, uh, you know, addressing the legacy of the original one, making a film that's almost kind of making fun of the sequel. And I like the basic setup of saying, well, we have uh, some academics, we have a goth, we have a witch, and we have a grifter, right? And uh, they're the people who are all going to be impacted one way or another by the film coming out. That in itself is relatively neat. And I also did like the... um, the sort of basic thing of a tour group where, where they're, they're going to celebrate a work of fiction and then come away from it going, oh, we actually, this, we've actually, we actually just stumbled across a real Blair Witch. You know, that, that in itself I thought was a good idea. And to be fair, as far as if you had to plan out a Blair Witch sequel would look like, I think that premise is actually quite a solid one. It's just everything about the delivery of this. Like, the, like, the acting of this is absolutely terrible. Yeah. And to, to the point where it makes the, the bad dialogue seem even worse. Like, when you've got lines like, uh, fucking, when that fucking tree that appears, yeah. Uh, yeah. and Jeff has to pretend that he's, like, surprised by this, it just doesn't work, right? Then later goes, yeah, I told you there was some, something pretty fucked up about that tree or whatever, right? And you're like hold on, this is maybe the stupidest scare sequence that's ever been conceived by anyone, right? And it's not being sold well at all. No. Like, it's such a kitchen sink approach to scares. We're like, alright, so we've got dogs, right? We've got, like, ghost kids, we've got a, an enchanted tree, you know, we got naked women outside, we've got, a, for some reason, a 1930s nurse in the hospital, right? You know, and a ghost kid there, right? And uh, we've got these random shots of violence, and, like, it, it's this owl. <laughs> like, it just sort of feels like there's no real coherence to the iconography. It's just Ours a bunch scary. of shit.
1: <laughs> I mean, can we all at least agree that when the goth girl um, is, that's a stupid sequence of her eating the owl, and oh, then it, and then it yeah. turns out to a, a leg and of KFC, I don't know what they were Going for there, but it was just a really stupid sequence. And she, and she's, tr- there's no elegant way to eat a leg of chicken. Yeah, the actress tries to keep looking pretty while she's eating a leg of chicken.
0: Oh fuck! I mean, she was the worst actor actually in the film. In fact, not even Je- not even Jeff. Like she had the worst material to work with. When you you got the whole bit that hinges upon her knowing uh, Tristan's pregnant or knowing who the the tape star, and she's like, I just know, right? Like this is just. <clears throat> It's a silly way of advancing the story in quite a blatant plot device that so she's got this ability. And it seems even stupider when you've got like, this kind of very vacant delivery behind uh, it. Yeah,
1: her character... I mean, if you remove her character from the film, what have you actually lost there? This is someone that... The, the goth person, and I think we're playing up to sort of cultural stereotypes there, um, where she just says things that weird people out, but they meet her at a graveyard... How did she get to the graveyard? Is that really the most efficient pickup place
0: for the tour? Oh, that was so funny meeting her there and Iker. One of my favourite bits are casual and she goes, I hate nature. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> and you're like, what? why are you here? What are you doing? Fucking <laughs> <laughs> You hate
1: nature while well, you're about to get a whole wallop of that on this tour into the woods.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, God, yes. yeah, Her, her and Jeff both utterly terrible wait, wait, what about you about can Stephen? sort of act as Tristan what about oh, Stephen?
1: Yeah. because you pointed this out when there was a line of dialogue he delivers so badly and this is I think when they're chasing down Tristan and the the ending part for her character and he delivers a line what's like oh yeah what about you it's something to
0: that it effect was, it was I'm not a witch She's like yeah you are <laughs> I not give a fuck <laughs> like I refuse to believe that was the best take does Chef Jeff have an accent change at some point? Yeah, the bit where he goes uh, just goes into I didn't kill a Stephen. <laughs> like you <he> goes back <laughs> to his standard accent. You're like Is the character doing that or is the actor doing that? <laughs> like by accident. I don't I don't know. There's there's a lot of um I think the
1: little they're doing it just for the scares. But it adds nothing to the plot. Like, the owl that we've talked about adds nothing to the plot. When Erica and Stephen start getting a bit cosy with each other, and and she randomly cuts his uh, chest open with her nails, and then they cut it back <laughs> to reality. I'm <laughs> like, okay. okay, what did that have to do with anything? Like, anything at all. What did that link to? What was the significance of
3: that? Yeah, I, th- I think we have far too many of those moments of, I don't know, are uh, they under the witch's curse or just hallucinating from the night in the woods or whatever? There's just so many things that happen that turns out didn't happen. And then occasionally you'll see probably the witch kind of doing that weird, awkward, backwards dad dance. Yeah. And then vanishing into thin air. And that's literally all you see of the witch. Just doing that a couple of times and that's it. There's just so many moments like that that you just think, well, okay, It doesn't advance things any further. Doesn't add to anything other than maybe just a bit of gore here and there, just for the uh-huh. sake of it. It's not even you know, remotely tense or scary. No. Um, no, But the I think the scariest part of the film was where they were starting to get wasted around a campfire. It's one of the cringiest. Things I've ever seen in anything. It was just.
1: I, I felt embarrassed watching that. <laughs> it's sort of a natural, flowing dialogue of the first film has not translated to this one <laughs> no. on any level at all.
3: And then the following morning, when they're waking up from that, everything's wrecked. I'm pretty sure you see a crew member in two different shots. Oh,
1: do you? I uh,
3: I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, they're looking for the tapes, and then you clearly see someone in, like, a blue puffer jacket or something in the background. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's one of the other, you know, uh, Torque group coming back to see them because they're lost or whatever but no it was obviously a crew member because that's all you see of them and then like in another shot about 20 seconds later mm-hmm. there's someone else stood behind the trees in like an orange jacket or something and then again I'm thinking is this going to be them but no at least to nothing so even the fucking crew in that just obviously uh, don't care <laughs> I'll sort of point out with the even
1: though she's probably the best actress in it Tristan actress that she has a conversation with a goth girl about being pregnant, and but this is when they're on their way to that that ruined house, and I'm sure that after she's had the conversation where she, the, the character knows she's pregnant, she then indulges in alcohol and drugs with everyone else, <laughs> and that you, you you lose all sympathy for this person, and she starts having nightmares about a miscarriage, yeah. anything
2: really.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, we give a sh- strange um, abundance of crotch shots, <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, so then when they wheeled her into the hospital, and the cameras focused on her bloodied crotch, and then later on, after she's hung herself, the camera's positioned directly beneath her, up to her, her spinning feet. I, I, just, I just why the camera ended up in that position with that actress so many times unnecessarily. <laughs> it's just a lot of weirdly framed shots that are in this i kind of do like the idea of having that sort of old factory as a setting i like that Mm. it's just nothing like i want to see it in a better film
0: when we mentioned earlier the camp scene i think this is a really good way of distinguishing between the first and second movie and what makes them work and what doesn't right where they have a camp sequence in the first one where they're just they're doing that sort of joke about like you know who's a captain that sort of thing, right? It comes across as very organic and the characters are quite likable and it feels like we are bonding. In this, like they got they just got a bunch of shit jokes with each other, like uh, when Stephen does that one about um, uh, how many havers did it take to change the light bulb? Just one, right? He's like. It's fun. How does it even function as a joke? I don't really understand. Is it because he screamed? Like he could also scream. It's scream. It's just seven. I don't know. But like. <laughs> um. <clears throat> But then, then, like, going, Ha oh, yeah, you know, hey, two guys and two girls and a guy. Made, why didn't they bang, right? <laughs> Dude, like It just felt like the most superficial way of addressing mm-hmm. the first movie. And yeah. they just and then, like, suddenly Stephen's personality transplant, when uh, he's like, we're going to drink all night. And, like, you know, doing a big bro collie bucky thing. It's just a of Edinburgh slang for giving someone a piggyback and I don't buy that Stephen to make that transition since he's been like the tight ass right, right the uh, earlier part here you know we went and is like oh, I just want to sit down and talk about intellectual things with my partner because that's all us academics mm-hmm. do is talk about our work right and um, yeah like we didn't feel like there was much character consistency I didn't think anyone was well I, I didn't think uh, their banter was very organic and it just felt really lacking. You didn't have the same kind of camaraderie that we have in the first one, or like, the, or at least yeah. like the kind of familiarity with how they interact.
3: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't help that the level of acting was cable porn. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they didn't fix the television.
3: <laughs> um, I just Yeah, I think if they had maybe some better actors, but potentially it could have been a better film, but yeah, you know, they. No one seemed interested whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, like it's a sequel yeah. to a worldwide phenomenon, and yeah, I know. I, I understand that it's a rushed film. Like they wanted to get it out as soon as cashing on the success and so on. And it's like a year directly after the original film came out. But the amount of directions they could have taken this in, yeah. and this is what they land on, and. For it
0: to be this bad as well, it's just it's unreal. <laughs> I mean, some one actor I'm going to compliment, right? La- Larry Flaherty, who plays the fat sheriff, um, also, <laughs> he also plays the role of the fat sheriff in uh, Signs as well. He was the best part of this yeah. movie, right? Like, I loved how he's kind of struggling with to get every last word out, you know, with it's <laughs> a really slow,
1: slow antagonistic delivery yeah. that he has and when he speeds Such up it has it has great <laughs> impact when obviously Jeff answers the phone is like come out and meet me as I'm not going down
0: to the station I'm at your front door you twerp oh when you hear <laughs> the, the background <laughs> of the telly as well. <laughs> <He's way laughs> He's, right by the way this is a sheriff
1: <laughs> law enforcement waving at suspects <laughs> through <a> journalists
2: <laughs> through the television, through their cameras. <laughs> uh, like the level of unprofessionalness involved
3: to take that action is jaw-dropping. But I kinda despite myself, I love that it's in this film. And and there's the crime scene directly behind them as well.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like the least you Kimmy's like Kimmy like, you think your black clothes and your makeup give you power? <laughs> and just a scared cowardly little girl. Like, he just, yeah. The actor must have had such fun with this. You know, he is playing the baddie and he just he rails, he says this Quentin, role.
1: It's also the thought that the victims, the crime scenes in the background when the sheriff waves into the camera at the suspects. But would <laughs> the families of the deceased also be watching that same broadcast? But when they see him wave, well, they think is this is he waving at me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh so fucking unprofessional he's amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah but he was by far the best performer in this movie funniest delivery of the film except for the uh, uh steven saying "Here yeah, you are will be jeff going this, this makes no sense like when we're talking oh, about yeah, rewinding yeah. the tape because it's such a stupid idea to go all we've got to do is so if we play the tape backwards and they're like all right so now, now we see everything <laughs> <laughs> like, like that was when you write write yourself into into a plot hole. You know, you're thinking <laughs> like, like, all right, well, w- w- what am I going to do? Maybe if we reverse it. Uh, you know, like, that, it's got a that'll do feel about it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> this is such a slapdash film. I was just marvelling at how we we're more about the, say, studio interference in this film, but when you consider what the film is that's probably why there's studio interference. They were trying to add spice to a bland film, even though, I mean, the, fundamentally, the studio notes was counterintuitive and undermining what little tension there was in this film. But um, you can't help, but it's like, who would watch this film and not have notes?
3: <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of something that could redeem it, but... I think the only part of the film I enjoyed was the reveal at the end, where mm-hmm. conveniently Jeff's factory house has video cameras set up in yeah, all the rooms.
2: Yeah.
3: And it turns out that they did do all the killing and they were just under the witch's spell doing her bidding. Yeah. And yeah, it was really. I don't know what the word is. Well, shit, right? Really. <laughs> For so that being the best part of the film, in my
1: opinion, it just goes to show how bad the rest of the film is. <laughs> in the first clear witch, there's a line of dialogue that I loved. If you bite me one more time. In this one I and mean, this is just the epitome of why I don't like this film, right? So it's a line of dialogue spoken by Stephen. This is after they've hung Tristan. He turns to the camera and goes, which bitch. And you're like yeah, those words rhyme. So you go, like fucking <laughs> wish. I <laughs> like he says that, but he also says witch bitch.
2: Oh, that's like,
1: maybe that's before he pushes her over the edge. Yeah, in, in either case, it's it's not a good
0: life. Well, the movie ends with him shouting, "This is bullshit." <laughs> like, yeah, pretty much. Uh, um, I'm gonna give another quick compliment here. Right, a couple of a uh, couple of okay things. I liked the woman with the whole cart of yogurt. No reason for her to be there. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That scene I quite like. They they do come up with an odd you're in the countryside now type uh, almost um, Little Britain vibe.
2: Yeah,
3: I guess it's kind of the contrast with the goth girl because, you know, they think she's weird she thinks they're weird so it's the whole clash of (laughs) culture, isn't
1: it? Between her and Peggy.
2: You
0: know when you've got that really onerotic scene between Erica and Stephen, like two people who, they have such little tension you'd assume were are brother and sister, right? And um, <laughs> the, There's one quite cool bit where after you've had her ripping his chest, it then cuts to the room and both of them have clearly just had a shared fantasy. And I thought that was quite interesting. You know, she's checking her nails, he's checking his chest. I thought oh, that was okay. Just one of those interesting little details. I'll tell you another interesting little detail. Jeff keeps his coffee in the fridge. <laughs> I don't know the like fuck anyone would oh, do
2: yeah,
0: It's a very poorly
1: stocked factory. <laughs> for, 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 for this being a place where someone lives,
0: he, he's barely got food for one for a day. <laughs> I I thought the interviews as a wraparound was okay as well. Like, we realised quite early on that Tracen isn't there, so we can guess that something bad's going to happen that involves her. Mm. But I thought that, uh, like, we don't know who called the police because it doesn't make any sense that any of them would call the police. But but at the same time, it's good that we have the interrogations. just kind of, like, it's almost like the hype man. It's like saying something's going to happen, right? And uh, it creates, like, a nice mystery hook for the film. It's a a mystery that's ultimately underwhelming. But at the same time, I thought the idea was there. There's a cool structure to it. It makes it even less like a real dramatization. Yeah. yeah, very much so. You guys got anything good you want to say about this one?
3: As I said, it's extremely Y2K. Mm-hmm. Um, that is to its detriment, but also is slightly endearing as well. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, like the soundtrack is as generically 2000 as it comes. Although I did, I did notice Dragula was in the credits, but I didn't remember hearing it. That's all I've got to say about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like as far as the uh, charm of it goes, you know, I, I, like, I can't get myself to hate this film because it is sort of a guilty pleasure, basically. But it doesn't succeed at all at what it's trying to do. You know, the character tensions are so like they just escalate like that. You know, but there's nothing. Nothing feels real about it. Like, any charm that it's got is unintentional. And also, it's not a point I wanted to make, right? See Stephen's defense when he's like, it was an accident, I swear to Christ, it was an accident, right? Because he was was goaded into pushing her. The thing is, even the footage from his version is still clearly first-degree murder. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
1: whichever way you look at it, he he killed her. (laughs) Like,
0: Like, she's going like, Oh, tell, tell tell you what, you don't have the balls to push me, so he's like, "Fuck!" He <laughs> like, like, proved her wrong. Actually, like, so like, uh, mate, like none of the others should be defending you right now. That was, that was yeah. a horrible thing to do. I love when you've got the sheriff. You know, he's got Jeff, and like walking into a police station. He's like a bit strong. <laughs> uh, crazy he like, fuck it. He uh, he deserves his own spin-off. Like just like, <laughs> see, like him as a. It's like, you know, a, a small-town sheriff just going around solving all such silly crimes. I, I, I'd watch that.
1: What I'll say is that there was, there was a gimmick attached to this film where there was a hidden message throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
2: in the version that I saw, they'd actually edited out all of, like, the, the
1: tombstone where you meet Goth Girl that says Treacle and Kim's her name. It, it never changed. It remained as Treacle throughout. And there's a shot where Erica... She sat down some leaves and she falls back and there's a top-down camera shot of her. And I forgot, I think it's the word seek was meant to be found at that point. And it wasn't there in this version that I watched. And removing the um, that gimmick, which is one of the few things the film has going for it, 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 it leaves an absence that the film has because... The top-down shot of Erica lying back on the leaves—that was shot specifically for the gimmick. There's no other reason you'd shoot that shot that way. You wouldn't film it that way unless you were doing that thing specifically. I think the other, you know, I think the other words were more naturally put in, but as I say, the version I saw, it just—it had all of that lifted out of the film.
3: Yeah, I don't know if uh, you had the same DVD as I do, but at, at the very end, if you sit through the credits, it comes up with, like, these are the bits that were too scary to show in the film. So uh, if you watch it backwards, you'll notice this and that and the other, and you'll find clues to more stuff. I thought, like, fuck that, I'm not going to watch this backwards, let alone forwards it ever
2: again.
0: <laughs> I think the message was seek me no further yeah which you're like happy to oblige <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> another really silly line that I've got to mention, right it's this weird bit where Jeff and Stephen are taunting each other and Stephen's going you know there's some colleges that even you could get into but for some reason Jeff's come back as he goes what do you have to do to go to yours brush your teeth implying that he doesn't but Stephen <laughs> does it's like I'm not good black off at all <laughs>
2: Like uh,
0: Derek Chisora you know the
2: um,
0: yes. famous famous clip. If uh, anyone doesn't know what we're talking about here, just go on YouTube. Look at Derek Chisora when he's, he tries to go through someone like a laxative. <laughs> 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 the reaction from the other guy is priceless
1: because it's it's a self defeating comeback where you come out of it worse.
0: Yeah, but that's a bit of a strange
1: analogy. Um, Because he goes, I think a couple of times he says, I'm going to go through this guy. Like, in talking about in the boxing (laughs) room, I'm going to go through this guy. You know those lax tips you pop? And then, like, 20 minutes later, you have to go to the toilet. And he's, like, nodding and pointing to his opponent. Yeah, I'm going to go through this guy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like, you imagine Jeff, like, watching that and taking notes or something? (laughs) (laughs) Any last things here? The bridge... Be, uh, and then the, the car, which she somehow drives... Actually, no, she well, that, actually was, drive that was Was a false
1: memory. She does, does drive it back, but she's, she showed in the shop, because she found, a I think it was a nail file, and she pricks hmm. her finger on it, and then later on we see that she knifed Peggy in the neck. No, she nail filed her in the neck to death. And she bumps the front of the, the van some mysterious children appear on the road but she gets back and drives it back to the factory but then when we next see the van it's mangled beyond Mm -hmm. the point that it would be even drivable Um, but then we are later on shown that the van was intact the entire time and that both of those memories were false in their own way
0: yeah, for like ah, it's a double bluff. <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it got. It got it, I mean, when you are trying to think about this, this is a film that punishes you for thinking about it too much. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, because also these it seems that these memory distortions happen when there is a camera on, right? And that's like they're sort of see oh, cameras don't don't lie, film mm-hmm. lies, and the Blair Witch Project was a film that lied because it said it was real. Oh, I am very smart, right? that's like your kind of subtext of it, but you are like, okay, so. What precisely? It, it, this isn't something the camera itself is doing here. This is and, and, and got to be a whole big delusion for them. But then you can reason to the film and go, well, what if any of that was wasn't a false memory? Essentially, because it is actually blocked out stabbing Peggy, and then just for some reason made up her entire journal. <laughs> like <laughs> you know, it, like I can get the idea of okay, false memory. She killed Peggy and, and forgot about it, right? Uh, the Blair, or like the witch possessed her or something like that to do this. That's fine. She imagined crashing her car, but didn't. And you're like, well, why is that part of witchy's master plan? Because they, you go, okay, it's a no way out scenario. But we already get, get a no way out scenario when they think the bridge is broken, which it isn't either. So I just didn't like this aspect mm-hmm. of when you're like, well, there's no set rule about what's real and what isn't. And while and, well, that leaves it open to interpretation, it also just implies there isn't an answer either.
3: And what kind yeah. of ship factory has one entrance, which is a regular door, <laughs> on a flimsy bridge across a, a chasm? <laughs> if you,
0: if you spend, a, spend a dollar on the factory, <laughs> that's
1: some factory, that one.
0: Shall so we go to uh, star ratings? Has anyone else got any final points about Blair Witch Project 2? Book, or Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2, sorry, to give it its proper title? No, I think we're done. <laughs> um, I'm going to give this one, and again, I can't, I can't really give this a review because I actually enjoy watching this, but it fails at everything it sets out to do. Uh, it's basically a one star film, but it's quite a funny one star film.
1: Yeah, I'm going uh, to
0: second that. another one yeah, star. I, I agree.
3: It's definitely a one star. As I say, it, it by the end, it, I did find it kind of endearing with just how of its time it was. Mm. But yeah, definitely a one star film. It's it's dog shit. It's one of the worst follow ups to any film I've ever seen. Yeah, I've watched a lot of shit sequels in my time, but this one is definitely one of the worst. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so there we go. We're all in agreement. Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, a one-star film. I'm going to read out a little quote from the director here about his response to the reviews and just how absurd this is. He goes, I underestimated how much venom there would be towards anything called Blair Witch 2. I also underestimated how much the fans of that movie really just wanted to find footage technique continued and they really just wanted the folklore and the characters. They just wanted that to continue. My mistake... This is not a disrespect to the fans of Blair Witch 1. My mistake was trying to... I'm a documentarian of intellectual documentaries. What were people expecting? My mistake was to inject into, into a horror franchise some intelligence and social commentary. Like, <laughs> I love these things. There's no disrespect, <laughs> but you're too stupid to understand my film. You're like, so he's putting himself in the position of being, being like beyond criticism here. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, sorry the audience was too thick for my movie. Like, no, Joe, it was just a piece of shit. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Like, this arrogance makes me... Uh, make, it, it makes me kind of hate this film even more. Like, <laughs> until you it's
1: it reminds it downward to a zero star. I
0: could, the thing is, horror has always had social commentary. It's always had an intellectual yeah. side to it. Uh, this guy didn't invent it. It's not like he's ahead of his time or anything like that. Hmm. It's just the idea of going, oh, my film was too intellectual for the dumb fuck audience that I got for it. Like, <laughs> No, the audience isn't the problem. Like if critics and audience and audience alike actively dislike something, that's probably quite a good sign that there's something fundamentally bad about the movie. Yeah. If the studio didn't like it because if they didn't think anyone would watch it, that's also a problem. You know, it's um, basically I, I I just think it sounds like he's, he's not learned any lesson from this whatsoever. That was like 2020 that you said that, by the way.
2: Oh, really? <laughs> yeah,
0: there <it laughs> wasn't, really? wasn't even this kind of, oh, uh, yeah, you know, I took like 18 years or whatever to, uh, to think about this one. And like, you know, I come away and think, yeah, I would have done that differently. It's like, not sticking to my guns, to the audience.
1: He was stung from the backlash to that film. 18 years, like decades later, he's still talking about it.
0: <laughs> I wow. think he was being asked about it because the... Actually, no, this is still quite substantially after the third one had come out. Um, so, yeah, uh, Joe, if you listen to if you listen to this, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you've got it on right now. Um, yeah, we legit didn't like your film.
2: Um, <laughs> just <it>. Yeah, true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's move things up a notch. Uh, we're going to go... To the third Blair Witch project film, which is just called Blair Witch. What
2: is that?
0: The guy who uploaded this video said it was from a tape he found in the Black Hills woods.
2: I think that might be my sister.
3: You really think your sister could still be
0: out there after all these years? If there is any chance that I could find out what happened to her, I need to try. Blair Witch. So, this is one of those movies that I reviewed on its release date and I kind of regret some of it was, I think my review of it was overly positive because to me, there's still a lot to like about this film. But God, it takes a long time to really find its kind of voice, doesn't it? Like, you've got an absolutely superb last 25 minutes, I think. And, like, a really mixed bag getting to that. What it's got going for it is it's got a really good kind of punky aesthetic about it, you know? It's got, like, this high energy about it that differentiates it from the other two. But, I don't know, I this one... this, this On rewatch, I just simply didn't like this as much as I first did. This, uh, Jim, this is your first time with this one, yeah?
3: It is, yeah. Um, I, th- I see where you're coming from. I think the issue for me, is that I watched it too close to watching the original. Now, by no means the same film. Like, this is definitely its own thing. But immediately, like, for me, one of the red flags was it's got all this tech. It's got a camera for that angle, a camera for this limb, a camera for this, that, and the other. They've even got a drone, which is great. But for me, that kind of eliminates some of what made the original so good is that we're stripped down to just two cameras and a sound guy. Whereas this one, I feel it's a bit too convenient that, yeah, technology has progressed a lot over the last 20 years. But it's a bit too convenient for the situation. So when we do start getting on, which, you know, it does start off pretty quickly. You know, we we get through the formalities fairly swiftly. But then we get to... um uh, Burkittsville and start going for the woods and that all happens really quickly but we see a lot of everything from a lot of different angles far too often uh, there's no just static shots it's this angle, this angle, this angle this guy's earpiece, that camera the drone, you know, uh, I think we get far too much of that and it's probably a bit overburdened with the tech um, I mean it's, it's not to the film's detriment I, I, I think it's a good film I just feel like yeah, everything is a bit too convenient. And it's not until we start getting to, you know, the, the camping and strange things are happening. That's when it starts getting interesting. It's just up to, I'd say the first 20 or so minutes, it everything does feel a bit too convenient
2: for me.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a bit of world building that I wasn't a fan of here was um, the way that we don't really know the relationship between this and the first movie. So we know it's a direct sequel. and We know this is uh, Heather's brother was the first film in this universe released at the cinema as a documentary? Or, or is this just like a kind of weird cult thing that people watch on YouTube? Like that bit of world building, because it, it was directly acknowledging the, the existence of the footage from the first one, but it, wasn't, <laughs> it didn't seem to acknowledge whether the first one was a film in that universe or not. Because like, that would change the interpretation here. Like growing up in the shadow of a, uh, of a missing person, it's potentially a really interesting angle for this, especially as you, know, you go, well, it's, it, it's Heather's brother, and he barely remembers her, and he's had this sort of... She's now... It's she like a mythical character, where people are like, oh, the woman went missing, you know, everyone watched that documentary. Or it's just like a family tragedy. We just don't really know. And uh, I, I also sort of well, the brother-sister angle just didn't really amount mm, to anything.
1: Yeah. If, right. I found him to be too young. I mean, the age gap is, is like 20 years, like if. Heather's mum was nineteen when Heather was born. She'd be thirty nine when the brother was born.
2: Mm.
0: I mean, I think part of this maybe about who who they have making this because like so this, this was the uh, Adam Wingard movie. Now Adam Wingard's got quite a, a varied CV. You know, with him, he's he's, he's done uh, well. Your Next would be the big one. Oh, actually, that's a big one. The big one would be King Kong versus Godzilla. Sorry, uh, Your Next The guest uh, Death Note. So like, it's a it's a mixed record. We would say. I think something that kind of unites all of his movies is there's not really a whole lot of heart or emotion to it. I mean, it doesn't help with Simon Barrett's writing style, but I think there's... I I think there's kind of like a sort of self-conscious coolness about it at points, and it just sort of meant that the characters just... uh, I I would actually say the characters in this were less immediately likable and knowable Mm -hmm. than the characters in the second one, and obviously the first one.
3: Yeah, I think there was far too much cynicism for a start. I mean... Especially considering there's meant to be a personal connection with this. Like this is this guy's sister. They're trying to at least get some idea of what might have happened to her. And, you know, the, the people he's got in tow with him just seem like they're taking the piss a lot of the time. Yeah, you know? yeah. like this, is meant to, this is meant to be something deeply personal for the main character. And, yeah, it did seem like a, a few of the cast were just disinterested.
1: I mm-hmm. also want to point out that I think on a visual level, what doesn't really work for me for this film is on rewatch. I find myself questioning: Is this the same forest as the one that we saw in the first two films? It uh, turns out it's not. First, the for- forest we saw in the first two films—obviously, it was—I forget the name of it, but um, I think the Blair, Witch was filmed in Vancouver, is that right, David?
0: Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. It's up in Canada for this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah
1: first two you had a very autumnal sort of the uh, browning leaves coating the floor, coating the ground you got, um, you got that look and you've got at least sort of three to four hundred yard vision in all directions and this one it's almost obnoxiously green this forest and there's a lot more undergrowth and bushes that you've got barely a hundred yards vision in any direction um, it, it just struck me. This is not the same forest. The trees are different. Everything's different, and you know it's it's not as filmed on location as with the first one. You lose that bit of continuity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, the the continuity in terms of the feel. I said earlier that I kind of liked that it had a different sort of feel to it. But I, I but I agree with the woods is really distracting. You know, once you're like this probably not the same woods. It's very noticeably not. You know, you start looking, and go, hang on, these tall trees. Like this is this is fucking Canada here. <laughs> I did actually think the use of drone technology was quite cool, just in that uh, it allowed him to show the scale here. You know, it <laughs> allowed, allowed him to add a bit of depth without how, just how big these woods were. But I didn't think I didn't think as a location it was quite as well characterised. You know, I think the thing is. Winger it's here, and uh, Simon Barrett. Like I think what what they're all about is energy. You know, I think that's why it's the logical choice to be doing the uh, King Kong versus Zilla film. But right? You want a guy who's just like, uh, foot on the accelerator. And I just I don't think it lends itself to this kind of suspense. I don't like, like where it works. And I really do think the last twenty five minutes of this are fantastic. if, if once they are in the house, brilliant. Yeah, Where it works, it works. Where it doesn't work, it's just tiresome. And uh, I thought it was a lot of a big scare sequence because it relied so heavily on jump scares and it yeah. noisy like It just became a bit of a slog at points.
3: Yeah, I found the I guess what you could call digital static when the camera's getting knocked about and so on. Yeah. That was far too repetitive for me. I Do cameras even do that in real life? <laughs> you know, I, I've it just felt like they were using that gimmick far too much like they're running around you know, dropping the camera that sort of thing and you're just getting a horrible green flash on the screen and the noise with it i know it was to build up tension but i just grated more than anything
1: i would say the drone gets underused uh, i think that just got included because someone thought it was a fun idea um the the cameras i mean
2: one thing i, got re- I did a, bit, a little bit repetitive in the first film and, it's when characters keep
1: telling someone else to stop filming, put the camera away. And in this, because they've got the earpieces that have cameras on them, and I find that's a good excuse to eliminate having that same conversation over and over again. And mm. uh, it did help capture some of the stuff that was happening. But the part where they're lost in the woods and recapping... I mean, we're literally retreading old ground here. It's in a different forest, but we're retreading old ground. Uh when the girl cuts her foot... I mean, she should have just turned back at that
0: point. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, um, I thought with the characters, the only one that I quite liked was uh, was Lane. You know, the... Um long haired scruffy kid Uh, he had quite a good sort of incel energy about him and a kind of unpredictability about him I just thought he was he was like as an antagonist I thought he was fun like the best line of the movie is we faked it because it's real (laughs) I just thought (laughs) it was a little bit like that like they introduced liabilities with the Burkittsville kids Mm. yeah I thought I thought they were the best bit of the movie the rest of the characters didn't really give a shit about any of them
3: yeah I I was the same there was something definitely more there was more of a presence of our brother and sister than the rest of the cast and you know, where where we've got the first i guess scare moment of when they wake up in the morning and the tents are surrounded by all the effigies and so on that was a great moment and then to find out that they did it was Another great moment, because like, that's where the distrust comes in and they, you know, they get they separate. And then when we see them come again a bit later, it's like, I don't know, it, it, he's been wandering for, what was it, five, five days. days? Yeah, and they've only been there
0: for that one day. That was a great little... I loved that, yeah. yeah. There's little bits like that that I just think, you know, they're it suggests that with the redraft, we could have had, a, had something really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, because you've got, like, um, like during that part, we see what the witch can do. We see the witch is fucking with him here. Like, the time mm-hmm. travel element, I thought, was really cool as well, where they suddenly, they filmed the bit that we see at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, and that, I thought, was just a really cool, uh, it's a really cool addition to the lore here. You know, I thought the... Wave of a witch is fucking with them. was much more visceral than it was in the first one. You know, I guess it's, I guess a bit like you know, with with like with Saw, where you go, okay, well, we can do a mystery once, but after that, we have to go to the recurring thing. The recurring thing will be the traps. I think in this one, we're going well. We're, we can't really do a film where we don't show anything again. So why don't we do one where we just make it like like a fucking roller coaster? You know, and, uh, and it's got far more vert scares than any of the other film, than either of the other films. Yeah, yeah. Any of them, i fucking exaggerating. But yeah, <laughs> um, more than either of the others. Um, but I do think there was, again, a bit of a scattergun approach. There was, there was almost like so many of them, and like trees yeah. getting knocked over and things. Like, it's,
3: yeah, yeah. And and funnily enough, going back to the roller coaster remark, sometimes it did feel like we were literally sat on one. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah. like just the camera... Just sometimes would spin out and there'd be a lot of screaming and just a lot of movement that just felt unnecessary. I know it's to build the tension, we can't see what's going on, so it's scarier, but again, it just felt like we were being obstructed more than anything, rather than scared. <laughs> yeah, what I, I noticed about this
1: film in the had head, 2 and 3 have an issue that the first one doesn't and that's I find myself questioning how much does this 18th century, how familiar is this 18th century witch with modern day camera technology?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> because she seems to be quite fluent in it and knows how to, uh, at least hide, knows to hide the tapes in the second film. <laughs> I don't know what else happened. Um, the Like backing out of shot when the camera's on her, like I mean, the the player which presumably knows what this is and how it operates. Who who sat down? I mean, did she attend a seminar? <laughs> uh, how did she know about the cameras and what their functions?
0: But I, I like, Maybe she saw the first one. I guess um, it was might be it might be a bit cinema in this universe. But I I, I liked it with the with um, her appearance because you bring in a bit of lore. If you go by by the way, her uh, her arms and legs were actually tied down. With rocks, right? And then that's what they bring in to, uh, to give her this kind of slender man appearance, mm. you know, big, long, gangly arms. And I just thought she, uh, that from what we see of her, she'd look pretty cool.
3: Yeah, and that was like, a po- bit of a what the
2: fuck
0: <laughs> Yeah, like when we reached the house again, it was just an immediate sense of dread and kind of mm. uh, like, I don't know, I really enjoyed the familiarity of seeing that building again, Rusty yeah. Parr's house. But then, like, you know, you see like her sort of poking in between the trees. Like, once they are in there, I just thought, like, the lighting, the mood, that was exactly what I wanted Yeah, in the movie. And, you know, it's still an overwhelmingly... Overly, overly overwhelmingly, this is a... I, I've got positive things to say about this film. It's just... It makes you wait for the good bits, and uh, yeah. there's yeah. so much kind of wrong with a lot of the characterization. Like, there's almost no arcs in this. Oh, like, yeah, James, with this whole sort of thing of, uh, you know, there's potentially something here about the sort of identification with a sister that he doesn't really know anything about, right? And that should be some good human drama. It just isn't. You know, it doesn't really feel like he gives that much of a shit about it. Like, there's just just kind of nothing to it dramatically.
3: Yeah, uh, The whole relationship just feels like it's there to tie it with the first film, and that's it. Other other than the fact that they're Retreading the steps. Yeah, it just feels like that has to be the anchor for it to have any relationships I suppose.
0: The first one's heart is like with you know, with Heather, there's something quite nice about seeing a filmmaker kind of out of her depth. She's trying to explore this local legend, and then there's a sort of hubris, and then she's like she's she's has a breakdown like doubting herself here you know i I, i've i've really fucked up with this one really small bit that i did like was when we're struggling to build the tents in this which is a good way Mm. of showing these guys have no idea what we're doing yeah yeah
3: definitely yeah and but again it also just went to show how difficult it was to warm to the characters as well um the, the the the, the only interesting characters we do see um, in it very much, and the rest of the time is just a lot of running around, being scared of noises for a while. I mean, it, all all the things people poked holes in the original for, we got in this one.
2: Mm.
3: I even though the original, personally, I thought was brilliant. You know, yeah, there is a lot of running around and being scared of stuff, but it's done in such a structured way that it works. But in this one, it feels like it's there to be know, obtuse. <coughs> stop us from getting to the, the money shots i suppose yeah. i just stretch things out a bit as you say once we get to the house that's when it really does get interesting it, it does more than just Joe you know, runs around looking for the missing person it, it adds a lot to it
2: yeah,
0: like where i think the camera um on the hat really works, because it gives them a freedom to do, like, the claustrophobic tunnel sequence yeah. that you couldn't do with a handheld, for example. I would like to see yeah. for the tunnel sequence whilst I enjoyed I did enjoy them getting to
1: the house at the end, having that drama there. But I found that the pacing dragged to a halt when she's crawling through that uh, underground tunnel.
0: Oh, I, the, I love this,
2: that. Yeah, I I, 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 I've, I thought it me.
3: worked. Like, it was horrible and claustrophobic. And, you know, it, You thought it could have caved in at any moment. There was lots of noise going on around. Uh, It also reminded me of another found footage film called The Borderlands. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Oh, yes. Um, uh, Which the finale is very similar to that Mm -hmm. moment. And, you know, I wasn't sure where it was going. I genuinely had no idea.
0: Reminded me of uh, Frontiers has a very nice claustrophobic tunnel sequence. And, yeah, I think the, the first person... Look great. Think of a cinema. Actually, it uh, occurs to me first. time I watched this. It was at a uh, is that press screening. So it was like a really large screen, a totally silent audience, and I think there, like the kind of overwhelming noise that you got throughout it, like the kind of aggressiveness when you got like the uh, feedback every every few minutes or whatever. Like I think it it was really cool just being bombarded with stimulus, particularly considering the first is such a slow burn. You know, I really do applaud them for going down that route. Else, also just think it would have been nice to have more to latch on to in terms of the characterization, in terms of what the point of the film is, basically.
1: Um, yeah, we'll
0: just jump into a bit that I did
1: enjoy during the forest jump scare sequence when they find themselves once again surrounded by stick figures. But some of them, one person grabbed from the stick figures breaks in half
2: Ooh, and yes.
1: the girl Talia both her legs are broken and they bend up over her head I love that I really like that sequence that I, was something new that yeah. was interesting that was a shock
3: oh a definitely definitely yeah. that's that's I think that was the part that made me sit up and go oh because up, up until this point yeah. I did feel like we were just going through the motions
1: the implication um, as well is quite horrific I mean each oh. one of those figures <laughs> represents Either a has-been yeah. victim or someone who will be a victim.
3: Yeah, and like, and and the fact that it was one of the most interesting characters
2: as well. At this yeah, point. yeah, Talia, Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Basically, I, I did like for that thing of them being a the Burkittsville kid. So basically, her and Lane as being the total liabilities. Mm-mm. that was cool <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean obviously they're fulfilling the uh, sort of the, the roper role later on because mm. we're like well I mean essentially he's going to become the antagonist they've brought him in here with the intention of trying to fool them basically and uh, yeah I think they were the best part um, of the movie by a fair margin or the best part of the characters at least Ooh. Ooh. Uh, anything else you want to say about this one guys the finale Definitely
3: saves the film. Yeah. Um, when they're in the... Is it the attic? And they've got to face the corner. Otherwise, yeah. the, the yeah. witch will get them. I'm catching
1: the witch and, on the camera when she's yeah. trying to walk around as well. Like yeah.
3: That. It was, I guess it was a very Clash of the Titans moment. A kind of a Medusa. Yeah. yeah and, uh, so she backs off. And then, obviously she thinks it's safe turns around oh, Ah, yeah, come on she, she why it. did you do that? <laughs> there's also she was the last one not James Donahue.
1: Uh she was the last one whereas because you think James Donahue's the one that's led everyone out there I kind of feel he should have been the last victim of the Blair Witch he should have survived the longest
3: uh, may, maybe that was intentional just to throw yeah, us off for a few seconds
0: <laughs> yeah I'll give, I'll give it that actually i it seemed to sort of switch because I was expecting him to be like, yeah, I was expecting, I was expecting that. So, good movie, basically in parts. I would mm, give this yes. one. Um, so, in my original review, I gave it four stars. I don't stand by that any longer. It's the annoying thing of writing for a website is you, uh, you know, you got for the rest of the time you have these reviews hanging over your head that you wrote, and you go, oh well, uh, 20, 2016, David was wrong, and um, basically, I will give this one three stars. And, uh, you know, I think it's there's, there's enough good in there that I would, I would definitely recommend it to people. It's, by some distance, the second best Blair Witch film. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same yeah. time, yeah, three stars.
1: I'm going to agree with you again. Um, it's a three-star film for me. There's stuff in it that I like or stuff in it that I don't like. Um, but never quite does one of them win out. I wasn't fully won over by this film. mm
3: yeah, I see where you're coming from. I, I would say three, maybe three and a half a push solely because it's the only one where I felt maybe a bit of dread for, for a sustained period. Mm. <laughs> um, as good as the original is, I didn't really feel many scares or any tense moments. Yeah, you know, I was just caught up in the drama and it felt more like that to me than a scary film, whereas this one actually did have a bit of underlying dread in certain parts, especially the finale, which, you know, just as soon as we get there, just absolutely belts and goes for it. Um,
0: So, yeah, I'd say three, three and a half. Well, i will go with three. (laughs) I'm going to completely agree with you on something there. As long-term horror fans, one of the frustrating things is that you cease to find horror films very scary. Just... Larger because you can become so desensitized to them. Yeah. I mean, fuck it. I would love to experience a lot of horror films for the first time. Like, you know, I'd love to rewatch The Shining for the first time, for instance. <laughs> you know, or I'd love to see something that scared me as much as it did, or as much much as the first Blair Witch Project film did, actually, back in the day. And I just don't give it a feeling anymore. But you're right. I think with this one, they do, they do still create something at the end. They really do create the sort of vibe that anything can happen here you know you've got little faces and faces showing up in the woods and you've had like trees crumbling down and it's, like pushing down the rain you know light, random lights random noises it's really cool it's like a it's like a, a ghost house basically and uh yeah I think I'm gonna stick with three but I can I, I can see why three and a half you know because that is <laughs> that's, that's a health and an accomplishment in fact fuck it yeah I'm joining in three and a half <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sticking with three <laughs>
0: So, uh, let's move on. Welcome back. So, to round things off, we've reached our list, but to change the usual formula... It's going to be Jim who's picked out the list, so I won't be using my omniscient uh, sort of, ah, yes, look at these fools who struggle to remember names <laughs> of films. You know, Now I'm going to be one of these fools. So, uh, yes, what do you have for us today, Jim?
3: In honour of Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2, I was going to do the best new metal horror films. <laughs> but I thought I'd save the audience the displeasure of that. So I've gone for the top 10 disappointing horror sequels, according to whatculture.com. Uh, Can I
0: ask, so, do you know what year this was from?
3: Um, it's fairly recent. Uh, obviously, if I tell you some of the films, it's going to give yeah. away. <laughs> <laughs> so, mm. um, but yeah, it's definitely from at least the last couple of years. Okay. Okay. Can I
1: just say, as I mentioned this at the start of our, uh, chat today tell me uh, The Exorcist to The Heretic is on that list somewhere that
3: must be on that list
1: if it's not they've made a mistake
3: well I can tell you they have made a mistake but in one of the film's titles but we'll get there so we've got okay. 10
0: okay. now The Exorcist Heretic's not one of the 10 no? it is oh okay, okay, so that's <laughs> right <your flow. laughs> yeah
2: uh, right. what ones
0: can we toss out of this? I think if we're not all part twos, no.
3: Uh, no, because. um I was trying to pinpoint it to all part twos, but no, we're 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 being loose with the formula. It is any sequel. Uh, but it's 2 to be on there. Blair Witch 2 is on there, Book yeah. of Shadows is at number three.
0: Oh. Uh, I reckon, although I love this film, Jaws 4 is probably on there.
3: Yeah. Unfortunately, there are no Jaws films featured. Uh.
0: Surprise!
3: I can see why, because *Jaws* four is still an entertaining film, despite it being diabolically
0: shit. At some point, <laughs> at, at some point we're going gonna to do a *Joy* show; it will be awesome. It's um, <laughs> not the first one. <laughs> a Josh sequel. Show. Um, all right, so uh, what else has been a major letdown? Um, just sequel. Probably going to be a *Paranormal Activity* one. Possibly number number six is a shit one.
3: There are no paranormal activities mentioned. However, I will give you a clue to a couple of... We have covered them on previous
0: podcasts. Tell me once Hellraiser
2: 6. You're
0: close. (laughs) I reckon the disappointing one would be Hellraiser... nine. I reckon it'll be part three would be a disappointing one. Got it. Hellraiser 3 Hell on Earth. Although
3: the website actually said Hellraiser 2. Reading the description, it was the third one. (laughs) (laughs) So that is in at number nine. I mean... It's a good movie. Uh, Uh, It it is a good movie. Uh, I can see why it would be a disappointing one, but not on the scale of Book of Shadows. No, No,
0: definitely not. Hannibal. Is Hannibal on there?
3: Uh, Hannibal does not feature.
1: Oh, does the Hannibal Rising feature?
3: No, nothing Uh, Silence of the Lambs uh, related, or Hannibal Lecter related, I'm afraid. Number 10 is the sequel to a Wes Craven remake.
0: Oh, Hills of Eyes Part 2.
3: It is the Hills of Eyes Part 2 from mm. 2007.
0: It was a weird bit of that, because it was Wes Craven and his son wrote it together. They've got this really needless rape scene. They're just kind of imagining I... Father and Son like, sitting down, like, <laughs> writing the camera. know West goes, like, all right, you take over the keys, or I'll go make some coffee or
1: something. I can, like. I can imagine when they're discussing that scene, Father and Son, I imagine them not making eye contact.
3: No. So number nine was Hellraiser 3. Number eight, this actually surprised me because personally, I thought this was the better of the films. Um, It's uh, a sequel. Um, Technically a remake of a TV movie, but also a book adaptation.
1: Oh, wait, it's not the the sequel to The Shining, Doctor Sleep, is
3: it? No, it's not Doctor Sleep, but you're on the right track with... uh,
0: the oh wait, you know, it's not It Part 2, is it? It is
3: It Chapter 2.
0: Uh, it Chapter 2 was a much better film than the first one. It was. One. <laughs> yeah. like, I, will, I, will, I will fucking spend the hill in defense of that one. But well, Chapter 2 was eight.
3: Oh, This isn't the only surprise on the list.
2: <laughs> Next
3: is a beloved 80s slasher series.
0: Friday
2: the 13th to go
0: with.
3: But which one?
0: Number 5. The, year, the Number are, five is you beginning? Square? I reckon, yeah. I think it's that one. Nah. Oh, the fuck! <laughs> this one, like, surely it's not one of the. It can't be. It can't be earlier than five. No, it's not. It's later. Oh, Jason takes Manhattan, number eight. Jason maybe.
3: takes Manhattan Friday the thirteenth <laughs> party. Understandable compared yeah. to the two that came before it.
0: They're I personally really, really good really enjoyed that one. It was it, a fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number six is
3: the third in a franchise with another iconic killer. Oh I wouldn't Yeah, maybe slasher.
0: Uh ooh, scream free?
3: No, older shit. older than that.
0: Uh, <laughs> Oh, uh, some, well, oh! Texas Chainsaw Massacre, probably this will be. Yeah,
3: the uh, Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, free.
0: Uh, I mean fair enough. I think it's not the weakest in the series. I'd be number four by a fair margin, but yeah, I suppose I suppose the thing is disappointing implies his expectations. Hmm. Yet by part four <laughs> yeah. you, you wouldn't have yeah. expectations. So yeah, fair enough.
3: <laughs> okay, so that was number six. Number five is a more recent film. Uh, I think it may be the third or fourth in the series. Uh, that's also had a couple of spin-offs as well.
0: Oh, so this would be the Conjuring ones, probably the oh. first the first Annabelle film. No, you're on you're on the right series, but it's one of the main line. Oh, series uh, three. Wait, it's truly not the Conjuring two, right?
3: The Devil Made Me Do It.
0: Yeah, that's okay. Number three, yeah, that does suck. <laughs> mm. but, but, like, it, yeah. it, it, it's really quite disappointing, because you're like, well, The Nun was already out before. The Nun's not as good as it, right? <laughs> <Well, laughs> First Annabelle's not, not as good either. Uh, I guess The
3: or Annabelle isn't a sequel as such, though, are they? Mm. And, yeah, Animal, Annabelle was pretty rubbish. But, anyway, at number four, I think we may have done this as the third episode of the Horror Cult Films podcast.
0: Oh, The Lost Boys that will be, oh, one, I believe. Uh ah, it's supposed to be The Lost Boys Part Two. Lost Boys the Tribe. Yeah, that's the first, that's the second one, right? Yeah.
3: That's the second yeah. one. The first <laughs> is the third one. T H yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, the one with uh was it uh Kiefer Sutherland's stepbrother or
2: something?
0: Yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah
0: that's right. Ah, oh, uh yeah, that, that was bad. Um It
3: was <laughs> Uh, yeah, as we've uh, already covered, number three is Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. So apparently, this next one is a worse film than all of the ones that we've already mentioned.
0: Wow. Alien what? Free? Alien not... Free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No way. <laughs> I mean, no way. Notably, a better film than Blair Witch 2, but, you know. Uh, I, mean, I said Alien Resurrection, but I, wow. I guess with Alien Free, yeah. though, like, it's not it's not a good film per se, but like it's, it, 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 I guess it's because it is following two absolute masterpieces yeah. Yeah. that like, it seems it's disappointing is the term. You can, you, you know, that's, that's what you go by. Like you wouldn't really yeah. go, oh yeah, I watched, um, I watched um like Blair Witch Project three. And I was disappointed. Uh, Blair Witch Project two, and I was disappointed and it goes, did you expect it to be good? And you go, no. Whereas like Alien three, I guess like you're, uh, I mean, Alien Free, you're following up uh, two amazing movies, and mm-hmm. it kind of yeah. did dirty with the characters. So Blair Witch 2, for instance, it does yeah. like a larger yeah.
3: job. Um, I suppose, yeah. Although, to be fair, like, I personally am a fan of Alien Free, both the theatrical cut and the Is It The Work print version. Hmm. I, I can watch either of those. think yeah, both yeah. are great. <laughs>
0: okay so number one what the fuck is this going to be Um this will be the most disappointing horror sequel of all time without you without telling us what it is do you reckon this deserves to be number one
3: uh, to be honest I have what well, I have seen but I haven't seen all of it so I couldn't give a proper assessment but uh, you yeah, have already mentioned
0: it <laughs> what t- today we've already mentioned it uh, a few minutes ago <laughs> 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 with the Deandrebell one or something. Was <laughs> it right. Insidious 3? Insidious 3 was all right. That's one of the better one. Well, let's but say it's, it's the sequel to one of
3: the, you know, most popular horror films ever made.
0: Doctor Sleep.
3: But uh, it's The Exorcist 2, The Hooray. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought we covered it already. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, The Exorcist 2. <laughs>
0: i mean the exorcist 2 is it's mind-bogglingly bad i'll tell you what uh, I, i'm surprised to make the list is the the descent part 2 i'm surprised that wasn't on there that was really pish <laughs> i've not seen that, that just, one
1: descent, It just it felt like an inferior copy of one
0: I, it was like I, was, Silent Hill two. I was speaking to neil marshall at one point as part of the interview and I, I asked him by the way uh we weren't recording at this point and I wouldn't have put this comment in the interview anyway, but um, I asked him uh, is there ever going to be a Descent 3? And he goes, I mean, you saw the second one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I was like, oh, fair enough. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, that was that was bad. The most well-lit cave system in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I thought Final Destination 5 was quite underwhelming. Um, a lot of people hate The Fourth. I think The Fourth's is quite fun. If, if, I think if you just take The Fourth as, a co- as an outright comedy, it's quite good.
3: Yeah, I'm surprised the Candyman films haven't appeared on. I mean, It Chapter 2, come on. That, that, for yeah. me, that was a five star film.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know if I could have done it before, but I mean, um, I mean first, I'd, I'd actually probably quite like to do an 8 episode in the future at some point, just because mm-hmm. this is an excuse to rewatch them. We can um, have cover the
1: miniseries as well.
0: Yeah, we could Happily, ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the miniseries since I was a kid, so, yeah, gladly. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, like, I thought 8 Chapter 2 was, was ace. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe on rewatch I'll hate it, but... Mm. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think with me, the, the issue that I had with the first one is, you know, Pennywise just came across as a bit incompetent. Like, he was just kind of like, you know, he'd show up to do, like, woo, woo like, the kids, but you're like, <laughs> but it's so action-heavy that you're like, hang on, you've been chasing these kids for, well, like, 90 minutes of this runtime you've killed nobody. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, because, because the makers were embarrassed by the source material, I think, they take out all the magic elements, so you're like, all right, so we're just going to beat them mm. to death. <laughs> <laughs> <Bits of metal. laughs> like, I just, I don't know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't care for it. The second one I thought was a nice sort of balance between the kids and the adults. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was ace. Um, Anyway, speaking of Ace It's been Ace hanging out with you guys Talking about Blair Witch Project uh, Mm -hmm. Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2 and Blair Witch Uh, Folks, listen at home We will be back at some Point soon, don't know where Don't know when, but I know we'll Meet again, so until then It's a farewell from myself and it's a
2: Farewell from these guys Uh, See you later
0: U.K. That audio.